I've recently learned that mole children uh, is is considered a slur by many of the people who believe in mole children. Wait, what's what's the preferred what's the preferred nomenclature for a, a, a mole child? Well, one person suggested tunnel tots. <laughs> so no you're telling me that there, there's folks who believe that there are mole people. And that mole children is an offensive term to refer to their offspring. So they're like reverent towards these. Well, so mole, mole children, folk. to my understanding, I believe. Mole folk is a D&D class. <laughs> um, I don't believe people think that the children are, are actually part mole. I think they call them mole children because they think children are simply being uh, human trafficked through underground tunnels under oh. uh, literally everything. Just oh. a giant These are stolen children. These are not, it's not a red wall, Brian Jock's sort of situation where they're mole people. Yeah. No, no, right. not yet. Not until I have my way. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds. <laughs> the first and only podcast defending the valor of the Tunnel Tots. I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's, and I'm still not afraid to say the slur, mole children. I'm, I'm proud of you for that one. Joining us today, we have uh, my friend, uh, longtime, I don't know, guy who I've known who is cool, <laughs> Nate LaMagna. Uh, why don't you say hey to the folks in... Uh, you know, introduce yourself, Nate. Hey, hello. Yeah, I'm I'm Nate. Uh, I've been online for a long time. That's probably what I'm best known for is having not logged off for decades now. And uh, happy to be here. I was uh, not raised on any sort of uh, non, excuse me, secular media, non-secular, which is which. See, I don't even know. Yeah, sec- secular, secular is the stuff that it's the normal stuff. But yeah, no, I was a, I was a heathen Simpsons kid. So right. Me too. Uh, wits, wits end, uh, Veggie Tales, all of that is like very foreign to me. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, welcome to the Evangelical Simpsons. I mean, that's really <laughs> all this show is. Yeah, it, it is. It's much like the Simpsons. It is also a, a complete shell of its former self. Uh, it, is, it just, is that popular belief? Do people think like oh, it really fell off in season 30? Yeah, or, actually. Yeah, I was texting Josh while I was going through listening. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know what? These are, you know, not my thing, but like listenable listenable like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. bored like i thought i might be but sure. then you hit that fourth episode fourth episode and i was like okay wait a minute what the fuck is this <laughs> <laughs> you texted me you texted me while you were listening to the fourth episode and we'll get there in a little bit but i you i distinctly remember you texted me who is this fucking nerd with regard to <laughs> dr james dobson himself so uh yeah you know be good uh, be good to talk about um and yeah this is this is of course for those of you who have not listened to one of these particular episodes of our show, this is Wit's Endless Summer, an ongoing subseries of the worst of all possible worlds, where we listen to and recap episodes of the infamous children's radio drama Adventures in Odyssey, produced by Focus on the Family, a conservative Christian organization dedicated to the preservation of the traditional nuclear family. And uh, before we jump into recapping, Nate, I guess you you said, you know, you don't have any real familiarity. You you knew nothing about this going into it. Um, But was there anything like what were your first thoughts or first impressions? What really like hit you when you started to 
get into this. Honestly, the first thing that hit me was the production values were way higher than I expected. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the brief exposure I have had to things on like the religious network or like, you know, clips of veggie tales that have somehow come to my attention is like corny, like rigid, very much feels like one of those like DreamWorks picture style, like knockoff animated movies. But this was very competent. You know, these were obviously folks who knew what they were doing or hired people who knew what they were doing to make a very listenable radio series. And it's like, always surprising to me because, you know, as somebody who's consumed a lot of media, like obviously this is not my wheelhouse, but this exists entirely off of my radar for something that's very, very well put together. Obviously I'm not the target target demographic by any means, but like for a longstanding institution, like completely buried to me, as I said, a heathen Simpsons kid, like (laughs) no idea of its existence. It, It really is. It really is so sequestered, but if you're in it, it it's the canon. I mean, a lot of what we're looking at today is sort of focus on the family providing its definition of itself. It's like, right. this is who we are. This is our audience. This is what's too far for us. <laughs> yeah. And then also here's the guy that we suck off whenever we have the chance. Cause he's our boss. And so they, they, they draw some lines in the sand here about the types of Christians uh, and the types of uh, uh, media Christians that they do not like. So we start with uh Melanie Jacobs. So Robin and Melanie Jacobs are played by the Bolte sisters. They are Chuck Bolte's daughters. Chuck Bolte is one of the producers, writers, directors, all that kind of stuff. This one having a cold open was very shocking and striking to me. Yeah, it was I don't like, remember this. There was some sort of cold open period. Yeah, well, seeing Odyssey use cold opens is kind of like finding out raptors can open doors you know what i mean like it really does open like (laughs) does it does it fill you with a similar level of existential dread it really Uh, does because it's so competent like this cold open is actually really good and that makes me very deeply worried for the speaking of which yeah so we hear we hear the uh, melanie jacobs the younger jacobs sister working through some uh prophecies relating to the apocalypse Take the sum total of the generations between Adam and Jesus based on the combined genealogies in Matthew and Luke. Then divide by 40 and add 12. Melanie, did you take Shh, my... Shh, go- don't make me lose my concentration. Take the number of years since Israel became a nation in 1948. Since Israel became a nation? Mel, what are you doing? Quiet, it's all in this book. Melanie and Robin, as they're looking at this paperback book, um, The Second Coming by Henry Fernbank, They mentioned that it is from a publishing imprint called Power of Praise. For those of us in the know, those of us accursed with this knowledge, is a pretty clear reference to PTL, or Praise the Lord, which was the organization set up by Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. So Jim and Tammy Faye are old-time televangelists. They got their Assemblies of Gods, they're Pentecostal. They got their start in 1966, joining up with Pat Robertson on the Christian Broadcasting Network. Then they co-founded Trinity Broadcasting Network and left in 1973. And then in 74, founded uh, PTL, which created a huge broadcasting empire there in the South. Um, And in addition, they owned the third biggest theme park in America after the two main Disney parks, right? Heritage Park. Yeah, I mean, if you've watched uh, the Righteous Gemstones, they actually do name check the Bakers, mm-hmm. but also the Gemstones are basically halfway between the Bakers and the Falwells. Yeah. So the the really really short thing on on Jim Baker is that when they're 
company or their sorry their ministry uh, that's what it was for tax purposes was at its height he got found out for raping an employee oh, good. and embezzling money to cover it up oh right, jesus to Christ. pay her off which also led to uncovering the fact that he embezzled a whole bunch of other money just to hang out like just taking money whenever he saw fit uh, he goes to prison. Jerry Falwell Sr. took over his organization and then uh, sold it for parts basically within a year. So Jim Baker gets sentenced to like 45 years in prison and uh, he gets a successful appeal led by Alan Dershowitz. Oh, hell yeah. Dershowitz. Wow. <laughs> Dershowitz just heard, oh, there's a there's a case involving a rapist. Well, sign me up. <laughs> Dershowitz gets gets him reduced to like, I think, seven years. He gets out after about four. Uh, Tammy Faye has divorced him by that time. And he moves away from this prosperity gospel stuff that he was doing earlier and becomes uh, the guy who sells like dried eggs in buckets that you can buy to you've, prepare for the And you've apocalypse. seen those videos, right, Nate? The, yeah, the, he's still doing that to this day, right? That's yeah. what is, yeah. yeah. All of the people in this era, aside from a couple people who have passed on now, these guys are all like 100 years old and still on TV doing this that's stuff awesome. today. So that's, that's, the, that's PTL. That's what they're riffing on with Power of Praise. Uh, that's what James Dobson is is going after at this time because he does not see them as allies. He sees them as liabilities right, because of right. all of these sex scandals that all came out at the exact same time. And that's 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 important here, right? Because you know, focus on the family at this point as an organization is rapidly gaining power and influence. If yeah. you look at what's happening in right wing politics more broadly, Jerry Falwell is really beginning to shape the moral majority. It has as natural allies focus on the family and other organizations of its type. We are now in the third consecutive term of Republican leadership in the White House. And uh, all of this is just sort of being consolidated. And so it's important to project in order to have sort of a unified presentation and show of power. You also need to prove that you as an organization are above reproach morally and ethically. Yeah. And so, yeah, this episode of Adventures and Odyssey is partially about a kid who thinks that Jesus is coming back on Saturday. But it's also about these sort of like fake. It's it's all about like fake friends, right? It's like putting out a, a, a <laughs> <laughs> writing a notes app about fake friends and, and how difficult they are uh, for you to handle. Um, it's it's focus on the family doing that as well. And, uh, Melanie lets her mom know that Jesus is coming back on Saturday. Uh, her mom says, oh. <laughs> in yeah. a very- so then Melanie goes and runs out. Which? Well, hi, Dale. My word, are you all right? Yes, I, uh... Can I get you anything? I, uh, Water? A tank of oxygen? Uh, or po- posters. You want posters? Uh, no, no, uh, Melanie, uh... Melanie wants posters? No, no, she on. She's uh, on a poster? Want... I... She's on a wanted poster? No, 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 no. She's on her way through Odyssey hanging posters, and I want to stop her. This is apparently just what they do with Dale Jacobs. I didn't remember this, like, recurring bit where he just can't ever get a sentence out, and it's all just a who's on first routine for, like, three minutes because that keeps going this bit keeps going throughout the whole scene yes but melanie has gone out to hang up posters she is on fire about the rapture coming and, and nate i know i know how much you love comedic writing and like good comedic writing so like <laughs> i'm bits, sure you, yeah. you're just listening to this bit and you were just like rolling i was honestly impressed that they were doing you know because oh really I, like i've said like I'm used to this kind of preconceived notion of like, okay, these are kind of shoddily produced. It's we've already got the stories written there in the Bible already. We just, you know, slap them on a <laughs> cucumber or whatever. Right, right, right. And it's done for us. <laughs> so I was I was surprised that they were 
doing gags and things Looney Tunes-esque where it's like, okay, we want something to make this less brainless. So there is a captive audience rather than just a passive audience. You know, the, the same reason that parents like, you know, don't like Barney or Teletubbies or whatever, because like there's nothing other than the surface level, we are entertaining a child or teaching this mm. specific story. There's nothing there. So the fact right. that they add this other layer of like, these are silly fun characters and not just vehicles for a sermon. I was impressed and I did do some extra homework. I went above and beyond and I rewatched some oh. Simpsons episodes nice. uh, mm. to kind of tie in. And the one I watched, this was later in the, this was 1997. Uh, mm-hmm. So a little later in the nineties, but Lisa, the skeptic, you might remember yeah. where they uncover the angel skeleton at the, where they're, digging up to build this this mega mall and they yeah. do the same sort of gag uh, lisa goes to the museum gets this guy dr gould who's going to test the skeleton to see if it's legit or not mm-hmm. and at some point he comes running up to her they've got the angel on display in homer's garage and she's like oh here's dr gould what were the results and he goes inconclusive and he's all out of breath and she's like well why did you come up at the come up running like that <laughs> and he goes can I use your bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same, you know. Well, now you know where the Simpsons got right, the joke. Right, yeah. Right. Five yeah. years later, they're like, okay, you know what? That was great gag. We can reuse it. I do really like the underplayed line that Wit has at the beginning. He's like, can I get you a, an oxygen tank? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'd like to imagine that he only ran like a block too. And that it's just, he's just, he's like, he's my level of like being in shape uh, after yeah. the pandemic, which is like, we, oh, we already know far. that wit can like run like the bionic man. He, he sure can, can just run yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. around town. He doesn't just have to fires. because he has complete yeah. control of the bus system, but like, know you know, this, yeah. he, he chooses to run. Right. But this is otherwise a very sedentary town. People right. just, they, they just don't move that much. No <laughs> and, sidewalks. And Witt is not afraid to call them out on it, right? No, God, yeah. no. He's, he's got no. this sort of Groucho Marx thing where he just like insults you to your face. And these these sheep in town are just oblivious, right? The oxygen tank line was for Wit. It's not for yeah. him. It's, yes. he's, this is not witty rapport. This is Wit just like, just jabbing him. Oh, like. this is strict like alpha dog shit. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Like he's... Yeah. Early wit is very mean. He laughs at children when they when they make silly mistakes. You know, he he just goes in on it. Nate, what is your impression of wit and his relationship to this town? I mean, he as I said, he seems to know that he is above the rest of them. Right. There's yeah. in almost all of these besides, I guess, the fourth episode too. Everybody's just looking for an appeal to authority. Right. And wit right. is that authority. Right. Yeah. Right. The The kind of overall theme of like. Do we believe this guy who wrote this book about, you know, the second coming on Saturday? Or do we defer to this guy, Wit, that we know is a better authority on things? And he yeah. seems to know that he is top dog. He doesn't seem to see anyone as a peer, which is we, yeah. maybe a scary place to be. Maybe it's scary to be Wit and be that <laughs> high up on top. And everybody else is just, you know, vermin amongst <laughs> Yeah, no, Wit, I mean, Wit, Wit is Harry Lime. In the Ferris wheel and the third man. <laughs> if any of these people drop dead, Tom Riley, would you care? <laughs> so to, to kind of like uh, pat out then what happens here, you know, after Dale comes to Wit, uh, Wit, again, alpha dogs him and is like, yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. It's going to be fine. We'll look out for the kid, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and oh, I love there's this little comment. So the, the Jacob's parents both end up at Wit's end. You know, the who's on first routine continues and then they leave. He's, and, you know, they're like, oh, you know, there's no way we can know he can't, how, when Jesus is coming back. The Bible mm. told us we right. can't know. Right. And then they leave and Wit's like, oh, Saturday. 
<laughs> if only he would come back. <laughs> it, is, it was truly harrowing hearing that line. Like, it was the first time I've honestly ever felt anything for wit. And like you were saying, Nate, like, just the burdens of being a god in a right. town full of peons. Like, it's just like, ugh, just take this weight of having to care for these idiots off my back and, like, let me die. It was... <laughs> It was tremendous. While they're on the way out, I do want to put this clip in, too. Yeah. Robin, her sister, calls the phone line oh, yeah. for Power that, of Praise. Yeah, that is kind of... Uh, and yeah. this is this is dropping a very clear reference to Trinity Broadcasting Network. For more information about Henry Fernbank and the Power of Praise Ministries, simply call our 24-hour toll-free prayer line at 1-800-555-1264. That's it. I'll get to the bottom of this. I'll talk to Henry Fernbank myself. Yes, I'd like to make. I like the ragtime music. <laughs> this is, I will say, this is actually funny. Like, good grief. That's how I feel about this whole episode is good grief. So this is um this the voice on the phone here is Dave the Nozzle Arnold, but here on the phone is probably the most animated he will ever be. <laughs> I also thought that this bit was a little interminable. I mean, I it's, it's very both. long. It went on too long. It needed an edit, but like at its core, it was kind of funny. Like the, the fact another that, great gag. I mean, yeah, yeah to me, I am missing the reference of of Jim Baker and the an actual prayer line. But like transcends that, right? Who yeah. hasn't had an automated phone service that they've been frustrated with? Like right. once again, adding this layer that you don't often see with Christian media, where it's like we don't need this because we're just telling this particular story. So well, right. the, in the every line tip, is functional. Tip. Yeah. The funniest part of the gag too is that you know the punchline at the end is that she finally thinks that she's gotten through the phone tree, and it's just. Jesus is coming back on Saturday. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Mom and dad then confront Melanie about the posters. Melanie sounds like straight up just like an NFT guy. She's like, you don't get it. You didn't work the formula. You didn't read the book. You don't know what's going on. Also, her Um, parents are running all over town looking for her and she's been gone an hour. And the mom says, well, it was a very long hour. And I was like, I thought Odyssey was a place you just like lost kids. You know, it was just like, go out and entertain yourself. No one's no one's like supervising their children yeah. also it's suburban sprawl so like she right. must have made it to like the end of the neighborhood like border and then walked back right um and then and then melanie uh you know that night she has a little heart to heart with god you know she prays yeah. she sets up a tent in the backyard right. like parasites so it's saturday now uh robin comes by wit's end and uh talks to wit and wit is like oh by the way there's some folks up on a hill waiting for jesus to come back well, I heard on the news earlier that a large group of Henry Fernbank's followers went to the top of a mountain for an all-night prayer vigil. I assume Melanie didn't join them. So this is a very specific reference. This is a historical reference to an event known as the Great Disappointment. Uh, <clears throat> so in the 19th century, there was a group called the Millerites. There were three different predictions made in 1844 as to the day that the world would end. And on the third of those dates, everybody like sold all of their possessions, left their homes, went to the top of the hill and waited for Jesus to show up. And he didn't. 
he he didn't. What? Yeah. So uh, then everyone now having nothing to even call their own, just sort of as the sun was rising, slowly made their way back down the hill. That in my family, the great disappointment was me pursuing a BFA in theater. And now, once again, five years later, The Simpsons, same episode, uh, Lisa the Skeptic, uh, also makes reference to The Great Disappointment, because that episode also ends on the entire <laughs> yeah. town gathered on a hill. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the angel statue, okay. uh, I'll spare you the full plot, angel statue is, <laughs> has moved mysteriously to the top of this hill, engraved with, uh, the end is coming at sundown. And of course, at sundown, it's revealed that it's the end of low, or end of high prices, yeah. Because the uh, the mall has <laughs> opened up and the townsfolk, rather than leaving disappointed, are now uh, very pleasantly surprised to hear that everything is 20 percent off. <laughs> and that's that's really what the Millerites needed to hang on. Right. It, it's interesting because if you just did this a few years later, right, all of this reaches ahead with with Heaven's Gate mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. all of them killing themselves as the comet flies by. But we're not at this point yet. So our point of reference is still the precursors to seventh day adventism right uh one of the prides and, of san diego was heaven's gate um that was in uh in the one of the richest housing developments in in the country actually is in san diego wow. and that's uh, most of southern california was actually just built by various cults <laughs> i'm pretty sure a kid i went to high school with was at least neighbors to it holy um, shit so there's yeah. there's also some ancient precedent for this right jesus talks about how the end is going to come before all of his disciples die. Paul was an apocalyptic person, but it doesn't show up as like, here's when it's going to happen, right? We have apocalyptic yeah. literature, but it always makes very sure to say that you you can't figure it out. You're not going to be able to say it's going to happen on Wednesday, July 3rd, year 20. Right, because um, it's, it's Saturday. It is Saturday. So we have a, a group of uh, called the Montanists in what's now Turkey, in Phrygia, they had a whole pilgrimage. They did the same thing. They sold all their stuff and then like moved to a valley in between two cities and just sat there waiting for Jesus to show up. And and he didn't. So that was the original great disappointment. Then there was the Munster Rebellion in 1534, which was less a disappointment and more a bunch of people just got horribly murdered because two guys started saying that they were reincarnations of two of the apostles. Once America forms, we start having movements like the Millerites left and right. Uh, It's, you know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, he believed that the apocalypse was coming on a certain date. Uh, the 20th century comes and then all of a sudden you get even more people who can do this because we have radio and TV and pulp publications, right? Really cheap paper that people can print on. So you're just seeing people everywhere coming up with stuff. There's UFO cults. There's nuke cults, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. They had a series of predictions all the way through. I think about the 70s. They don't predict the end times anymore. Pat Robertson in 1976 said the world would end in 1982. Harold Camping. He's probably the most well known today of the Christian ones of these guys. He was a Christian reformed broadcaster. He formed the family radio network in California in the 1950s, and he predicted the end in 1994, then 2011, got a little bit of press back then. Basically, we've got like a lot, a lot, a lot at this point of people predicting that it's about to be over. There's something in the air. And it's all over AM radio. And as we have referenced The Simpsons already... The book of Revelations tells us to watch for the seven signs of evil. Sign of evil number four. Continuing our sign of evil countdown. Here's Vanessa Williams. Like, so everyone is on on this kick. Yeah. 
And uh, so the big ones that happen around the 70s and 80s, and of course, we watched A Thief in the Night from the 70s. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hal Lindsey published a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, which got ma- which was uh, published by Zondervan Publishing, Josh. It was made into a movie narrated by Orson Welles when he was, you know, desperate for money. So Orson Welles is what you're saying. Just like mostly most of most of his life. <laughs> Orson Welles. Oh, the French. Um, <laughs> the the big boy at this time for end times predictions in the late 80s was Edgar Wisenant. He was a former NASA engineer and like a lot of mathematicians was just mostly insane. And he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> 88 gets calculated because it's a biblical generation after the founding of the Israeli state, right? 40 okay. years after 1948. So that's why at the beginning there's the thing about like the foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mailed 300,000 copies for free to churches all around the United States and to pastors. Ended up selling 4.5 million copies of this fucking book. Holy cow. Oof. 1988 went through the world didn't end. Everyone just voted for George H.W. Bush. You know, even the Trinity Broadcasting Network made special rapture preparedness broadcasts leading up to the date that he was saying, which was October. It was Rosh Hashanah of 1988. Then he said, okay, it'll be 89. But I mean, were people like (laughs) closing like bank accounts and stuff? Like, is this something that probably it was definitely, you know, it was, it was in some of the cultural zeitgeist. Again, the eighties are just so much crazier than we like to uh, acknowledge anymore. Uh, So then he said, it's going to be 89. Then he wrote another book saying it was like he just kept doing like 92 reasons it'll happen in 92. That's that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's great, too, because then it becomes a renewable franchise. Like you always know the next installment is going to be. So Wizenant is the person that's actually on everyone's mind at the time that they're writing this episode. I was actually very pleasantly surprised that they were condemning a faction of Christianity. And I was actually very pleased that it ended the way that it did with Melanie sitting uh, um, outside in her tent waiting for Jesus to come because he's not going to show up in Jerusalem. He's going to show up in a backyard in Ohio and say, hey, what's up to, you know, a little girl in her tent. But her sister, Robin, who has been giving her shit the entire episode about how dumb she's being for thinking that Jesus is coming back on Saturday, actually goes out there and spends some quality time with her sister. Even if Jesus doesn't come tonight, and I'm not saying he won't, it's nice to be excited about it. It was better than anything I've ever felt. I wish I could feel like this all the time. Maybe I'd be a better Christian. And that's where we get to the real lesson of this right. episode. Is like, even though there are fools and charlatans at the top of all this, predicting the end times and trying to sell you books, maybe we should just let people believe it. Because it makes them better Christians. Right. <laughs> Because we all really want the world to end. We all want to die and, this and is to also, go away and see God punish the evildoers <laughs> who are all Democrats. This, this is also where, where the message of this maybe like goes in a different direction than maybe <laughs> one would be expecting up until this point. So at first I thought pretty wholesome, like a easy to digest message. You know, Wit himself says he got caught up in it, right? He's right. not above mm-hmm. this uh, right. in a rare moment of humanity in wit uh, <laughs> got caught up in one himself but now he lives every day as if it could be uh the second coming right yeah, it seems like a potential message but the more i thought about it like it seems <laughs> it seems like a very narrow conclusion right 
of like, yes, you should live every day as if the second coming could happen, makes you a better Christian, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But only because the Bible is specific that nobody can predict when he's coming back. There's no larger message of like faith of like why it's a good thing to live as a good Christian other than mm-hmm. the Bible doesn't say specifically. And it says if anybody does that, they don't know either. Right. Because um, uh, th- this episode does seem to be like an episode about faith going unrewarded right because she is as like passionate about the end times coming as wit is about just like christianity in general but hers is wrong but it doesn't it's not bad that she believed it it's just misguided um and there's also this like whole thought about how you can only be a good christian if there are consequences Right. It's an entire worldview that you will not be your best self unless you know that Jesus is coming back and will judge you for not being your best self every single day, which is I don't know. It's a very paranoid worldview. And it's not one I think is particularly healthy. It's the message of the song Christmas Shoes, too. Right. Because that little kid's mom is dying and he wants her to have nice shoes when she goes and sees Jesus. Otherwise, the deal's off. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like it's it's Bart spitting off of the escalator. Yeah. One last Simpsons reference for this particular episode. Once again, <laughs> same thing. Lisa the skeptic. Uh, yeah. But Marge makes them all dress in their Sunday best to go out. Right? That's right. Bart thinks that they're going to Black Angus Steakhouse because they're all wearing nice clothes. <laughs> <laughs> this episode really shows that it, this is aimed for a strictly Christian audience yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah. they are willing to throw a punch at a, another faction, right? I, yeah. I, I can't think of any mainstream Christian produced media that would say, oh, this other group of Christians is wrong, right? They're normally kind of put on a, a unified front, despite right. the fact that mm-hmm. they are, mm-hmm. you know, various sects, various uh, schisms and, and so forth. But this just goes to show how how hidden away from mainstream this really is, because like they are going out of their way to say like, hey, this other stuff that you are being bombarded with that I have, you know, aside from seeing clips of Jim Baker selling his, you know, mac and cheese slop buckets right. uh, <laughs> on like YouTube clips, like completely foreign to me. Uh, yeah. But yeah. this is really tackling something that's so specific to this narrow group of media consumers. Well, and this 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 reflects also like what focus on the family is doing more broadly as an organization, right? And again, when we get to the last episode, we'll talk a bit more about focus yeah. as an org. But the big thing that they are doing is they are staking their claim on sort of the legitimacy. They 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 want to be the legitimate representative of Christianity of evangelical Christianity. Yeah, the face they want of it. to. Yeah. And they want to. And, and that means controlling the terms of the debate that yeah. means both internally and externally. But you've got to control internally before you can make an external push. And that's a big part of what this stuff is all about. It, it, it is a lot like Eli Gemstone, you know, going into the back rooms, throwing a potato at someone's window, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and that's that's another thing to remember is like not only are these people vying for power in terms of their audiences, like who they speak to, who listens to them, focus and and Adventures and Odyssey is at this point and Dobson's talk show. I think they were kind of a package deal for a while is playing in 1991 on 2500 radio Good stations Lord. across the country. But these people are also friends with the president of the United States, right? <laughs> Rick. They they all have like the deepest connections with K Street and Washington, D.C. and the family and George H.W. Bush and the CIA. We'll see a little bit more of that when we talk about Dobson going to Russia. But these are these are people who have the ear 
yeah. of the most powerful figures in the country right now, which was the entire purpose of the moral majority movement. Before we move on to the next episode, I do want to point out one last bit from this episode, which mm-hmm. is that Robin's uh, absolute annihilation of her belief in the Easter Bunny. Uh, <laughs> I thought was actually very, very well done. Why don't we move on to our next episode here? The Jesus cloth, which will clean up after Jesus's second coming. That's exactly right. Oh, boy. Wow. So um, the Jesus cloth begins with Wit getting a package from Jerusalem from a man named Alfred Brownlee. Uh, he's a friend of Wit's. Uh, he worked for Wit at the Universal Press, which is the encyclopedia publisher slash intelligence community front owned yep. by Wit. It's just the Hobby Lobby Bible Museum <laughs> in D.C. is what it is. <laughs> Wit is dealing with a huge problem, which is that his uh, his friend Brownlee has sent him basically a cursed object. Yeah, a smelly leather pouch that has a piece of cloth inside of it. Which and Connie, drives Connie wild. The, the, Connie. the curse of it, you know, unlike the curse of the mummy, which just, you know, kills everyone over a few years, the curse of this cloth is that it attracts every Catholic in the area. (laughs) (laughs) It it certainly attracted this Catholic. The locals tell me that according to the markings on the pouch, this is indeed a piece of the robe of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I believe them. This sort of stuff has been going on for years. People finding a splinter from the cross, a strap from Peter's sandal, or the Apostle Paul's toupee. (laughs) Still, the locals are convinced, so I thought you might want to check it out. You see, uh, Connie, even Alfred doesn't say it is a piece of the robe, only that it could be. That splinter of the cross thing, this is another very specific reference. Martin Luther always riffed on this. In his stand-up sets? Martin Luther at one point said that 15 of the 12 apostles were all buried in Germany, and also that there were so many splinters from the cross that you could build Noah's Ark with it. Then, yeah, Connie touches this this potentially miraculous object, right? The, yep. the cloak of Jesus Christ. I also don't want to skip over the fact that Alfred Brownlee is just like, hey, here's all this stuff. By the way, Wit, I need $500. Right. <laughs> It's not even a lot of money. It's yeah, not. no, it's 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 weirdly. It sounds like uh, like a scam. Like he's right. just he got like, in. He got in bad with a Jordanian bookie, and now he's holding a bunch of NFTs. They took my apes. They went right for my apes. <laughs> All of my apes are gone. Sent this cloth to Wit to get paid, even though he's like really skeptical of it. And Wit says that he had kind of fallen right. out of right doing this whole thing except now he needs money and i'm i'm not sure where the money is coming right, from Did yeah. he, he bought this from the locals and wants to flip <laughs> it into wit it, it does not make sense yeah and he's not sending it to the encyclopedia and wit really drives <laughs> yeah. home this guy has never found anything yeah, this guy <laughs> this guy sucks this guy like, is fucking terrible <laughs> he's never <laughs> found anything of worth he doesn't believe it himself right he's <laughs> right no he's not even selling it well he's not even like this is totally the robe give me five hundred dollars it's just it, like it, i mean Kind of. I found this thing. Uh, may I have $500, please? Yeah. Uh, in the package is also just a tin cup, which I'm pretty sure is actually the Holy Grail. And it's like, don't throw that out. That's, that's why he needs the money. That's the tin cup he gets to collect change from people walking by. And he accidentally mailed it to Wit. Uh, like, I already wrapped it up in the package. I need the tin cup back or I'm broke. It's got a prepaid stamp on it. It's like, drop your change in and send the cup back. <laughs> um, I'm going to so, yes, Connor. Connie touches the cloak. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. No, suddenly I'm beginning to feel very warm. Oh, Connie. No, really, Wit. I think it's because of this cloth. I think it's because you're leaning up against the hot plate. Oh, 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 o
<laughs> it's just like everyone in town is really wanting to whiff what is apparently just Jesus's taint holder, and I right. don't. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, wait, I'm sorry, AJ. I just. Hmm. D. <laughs> yeah. Do you, are, have you encountered someone in your life who needs their taint to be held? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just flopping all around down there. You know, you gotta you gotta have some way to support it. A floppy I, taint? Yeah, yeah. I, every, this taint? is a problem. Everyone has a floppy taint, right? This is a problem everyone has. Mm. Uh, can our guest weigh in on this, uh, Nate? What do you think? I mean, I don't think I would wear a robe if I wanted to keep my floppy taint held. <laughs> I think there's other. You garments. are flopping around in the breeze yeah, yeah. if you if, wear a robe. If you're like, yeah. I want it to flop. Okay, I want okay. the breeze on my on my long low taint. <laughs> okay, so yeah. robe is what I'm going for. Um, yeah, no, it's slapping between your knees. Here's, here's, like here's my here's my issue, Nate. Um, you you took issue with this with 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 the the taint situation. But your problem was just about robes. My we're, we're, uh, my angle from this, mm -hmm. maybe this is upbringing. I don't know. Go is on. I, 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 the taint. The taint is what stands out my, to me. Mine isn't personally floppy. I only speaking for myself. No, well, no you're it's wearing robes. So yeah, obviously, obviously not yeah, you're very, very fully supported. Yeah. Otherwise, I, it's just it's bapping between your knees like pong. You know, right. Uh, right. I don't. Th it's not. It, it's not though. I, I, I'm pretty certain. It's. It's kind of. It's quite firm. It's. It's. You know. It's. it's no. I think Nate and I are in agreement. You have uh, the weird taint here. Okay. Uh, to, well. quote, to quote a famous episode of Mr. Show, it's insane. This guy's taint. <laughs> <laughs> We're taint misbehaving. Maybe, maybe this is a, a Mediterranean versus uh, you know Germano Scandinavian thing. Maybe maybe there's a major taint difference i think it, i think it's i think it's yeah the, it, once again those swarthy italians have <laughs> so i wanna i wanna done it again i there's not to not to focus too much on alfred and his terrible plan yeah alfred yeah but why yeah. if you discover something that might be the 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 robe of jesus yeah uh -huh. why in god's name would you send it to the owner of an ice cream parlor i will agree with you aj that there are a lot of plot contrivances in adventures and odyssey generally but in this specific case given who the character of wit is i actually think it tracks completely what makes less sense is the fact that he would send along the goods and then ask for the money that's yeah. the thing that confuses me. Anyway, at least send COD. It, that part exactly. didn't make yeah. sense. But exactly. <laughs> I do think it's consistent that you would immediately bring it to Wit's attention because in the Adventures in Odyssey world, of course, I'm only two episodes deep into my journey. <laughs> yeah. uh, You've gotten a really he, good sense of him, though. He yeah, is yeah. the ultimate authority, right? It's, exactly. There's exactly. no yeah. there's no pope in, in, in this world. <laughs> like the, the top dog until you get, you know, pierce the ether and, and hit heaven is wit right and this is right. the be all and end all interpreter of faith for everyone yeah. he knows well brian brings up actually a lot that there we never really have any scene with a pastor right. in odyssey like yeah. wit is super by, rare for all intents and purposes like the moral authority of this town yeah. which is why i think he uh him getting overwhelmed in this episode by the mob so wit's like i'm gonna go to of course the antiquities expert at the community college right uh, who can do all the tests to find out if this is the real deal. He leaves. Connie uh, is doing bad scholarship. She's doing bad epistemology. Right. right. She doesn't say, oh, a cloth has come that purports to be from the ancient Levant during the time of Christ. Lucy Cunningham Schultz comes in and Connie's just like, by the way, I just touched something that once fastened 
Jesus Christ's massive taint uh, <laughs> to his body. Mm-hmm. He literally uh, could not walk without this. And you can still smell the sweat. So this cloth is uh, is brought over to the um, the college to Ian. They mentioned that the, the cloth was found in Rumquam, which is a reference to Qumran, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were found. We'll get to that. Wow. I did wonder. I, I, it did seem like a strange, a strange name. <laughs> the one thing that Ian does confirm is that it could have had some historical provenance because like the markings are connected to like an early Christian cult, I guess. I was actually a little disappointed. I thought that this episode was going to lead to like Connie pulling kind of a music man thing and like conning a lot of people out of her money and living <laughs> up to like that her would be namesake. Awesome. That'd be, that'd be so cool. So at this point then... Wit comes across Dale Jacobs. Dale Jacobs is the editor-in-chief of the local newspaper. Uh, and we're, we're really heavy on the Dale Jacobs stuff. In yeah, we episodes. are. Yeah. I don't know why. At this point, <laughs> Dale is basically fucking psyched as shit. He's like, show me the damn cloth. Wit notes that there's no proof that Pulls it's a switchblade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wit, Wit notes that there's no proof that it's the real deal. Mm. At this point, Dale is just like, I need the cloth, dude. I need show me. Tell me about the cloth. What's going on? And Wit says... Don't I always give you an exclusive, Dale, with regard to the local newspaper? Wit owns the fucking media. Yeah, it's so yeah. it's so sinister, that line. And I know it's not meant to be, but God, it's so terrifying. Well, it's like, Nate, there's a previous episode where a horrible accident occurs at Wit's end and right. puts a child in the hospital. And uh, the police are going to do an investigation, but Wit's like, no, it's okay. I'll do the investigation. <laughs> and they're the like, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm curious. Yeah, this this goes back to your point, Nate, about like wit being the ultimate authority. Like you, you you're exactly right. You're intuiting it there, it, and it keeps happening here. Like even after all those people have stopped by and have said like, you know, wit, we want to see the thing. He's still able to hold them off. And then Ian verifies that the cloth was attributable to that cult. Then the next day. Connie is opening up Wits End and out front wow. there's and there's a ton of people out front who are demanding to see Wit, but he's not there. Yes. And Connie tries her best to hold them back, but it turns out that in the Campbell County College Clarion, the newspaper of the co- community college, there has been an article published about the cloth. And the yeah. word is out, and everybody coming into town at this point it's pretty it's pretty heavily implied they're not actually from Odyssey. These are people who are from the county more broadly. These are people who are coming in from like Connellsville, which is the adjacent Ogdenville, Brockway, North Haverbrook. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And boy, howdy, did it put them on the map. And and this is putting this is putting wit on the map. This is putting wit's end on the map. Connie tries and fails uh, to do crowd control. Wow! A fuckload of people enter wit's end. Basically, at this point, the the fucking the the, the masses are rioting. They're they're desperate for the cloth. Absolutely, you know? they got to touch that cloth. They're hot for the cloth. I've been ill for many years. All I want to do is touch the cloth and be healed. There's no proof that it can heal anybody. There's no proof that it won't let her try. <laughs> Wait, wait, please. Quiet. (laughs) So the only thing that Wit has at this point is they can do radiocarbon dating. Right. Which requires that you you burn a certain amount of material and then you're able to look at the carbon isotopes and date it pretty accurately to whenever it was around. The scrap of fabric in this case is very, very small. And so it would require burning the entire sample, which which Wit brings up because Wit's trying to use logic and reason. Right. He's trying to he's trying to logic and reason. These people He's trying to say, no, no, no. Here's here's how we do the epistemology. Here's how we do the good scholarship. The only way to get even an approximate time is through radiocarbon dating. And to do that, we have to burn it. 
You idiot. Uh. He wants to burn the Jesus <laughs> No, no, I don't. Well, and you can. I don't believe this. Think about what you're doing. What you're saying, people. I am it's just God. a piece of cloth. You can tell that these are Catholics too, because of like how much emphasis they put on a physical artifact, and they call him a heretic. This episode came about because Focus on the Family was really worried about the publication of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, Nate, are you familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls? I know they exist. I know people like reading them. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. So I'll go into the, the, the 20th century history of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, these are scrolls from around the time just after Jesus and probably a little bit before. Some of them were historical and saved. Some of them were inscribed after the, the major revolt that was put down by the Romans that led to the, this sort of migration of, of Jewish peoples. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered by a couple of young Bedouin shepherds in the 1940s in caves just north of the Dead Sea. It was sold to a, a merchant, resold in a couple places, held on by some people who were kind of go-between guys. Eventually, it gets spotted by uh, someone working as a researcher for the American Schools of Oriental Research which is a Virginia-based institution that mostly does archaeological work in the Middle East. And the ASOR, as it's known, then starts to work together with the Jordanian Department of Antiquities to find the caves. And the, these caves are in a region known as Qumran. At some point, they strike up a deal. This changes hands over to the Israeli Department of Antiquities uh, during you know, the many... Many borders being drawn at this time. The Oxford University Press gets sort of an exclusive deal to publish the Dead Sea Scrolls as they're being worked on. In the 50s, they do a little bit of radiocarbon dating and find that these scrolls are the real deal and really from this time. So Oxford University eventually, by 2009, publishes 40 volumes from 1955 to 2009. So it's a very slow drip of information. There is a staunch monopoly on this. This does not go out of a few hands. It is not seen by very many eyes. And that's just how it goes for decades from the discovery until 1991. And then in 91, uh, researchers at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, Ohio, made a computer program that could, one, reconstruct certain pieces. And also, it was put on a computerized network. So they were digitizing these files and people could actually see much more widely within academic circles what's on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then somehow a library in California gets a hold of 3000 photographic negatives and is able to publish a facsimile collection of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1991 that you can still buy today. And this is the point. The year that I was born is really the point where the Dead Sea Scrolls become uh, a known quantity for for laymen. What most of Christianity and Judaism is working off of is Masoretic text. And so there was a movement to standardize text that went into the, the early Middle Ages. And that's pretty much what most of Christendom uses as the sources for the Bible. There is this potential for a lot of upset to find something that's a thousand years older than the text that you're working on working with that might have some contradictions. Right. And so everyone at places like Focus on the Family were terrified. And it turns out it's like it's pretty on. And these days, all they do is say, oh, the Dead Sea Scrolls reaffirm just how accurate the Bible is. And they try to ignore 
the uh, the contradictions that do arise. Yeah, because because um, just to, I, I'm actually not yeah. sure if we did clarify this, what the Dead Sea Scrolls actually like, what is the text on the Dead Sea Scrolls? A combination of uh, original Old Testament text, also um, the Book of Jubilees, which is canonized really only in Ethiopian Jewish and Christian circles. My favorite X-Men, actually. And it is a bunch of rules for whatever this separatist group was that lived in these caves for their society, as well as one bronze scroll that also told where they had buried a number of treasures, actually. This is going to sound like a dumb question, but it, the scroll is made of bronze. It's made of bronze. Yeah, it's a, it's like a bronze cool. treasure map. But the rest, the rest of them, and everything are... was probably dug up later. But it was like things were being hidden from the Romans. So this was being was this was probably from the time that the Romans had had torched the second temple. Sure. But the, the rest of them, though, are are more standard parchment based again. Which, uh, but it's it parchment was... papyrus vellum. Yeah. And uh, so they contain ancient Hebrew text. It's 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 one of the most definitive sets of documents, but it also shows that at this time there was no standardization, right? There were a bunch of people inscribing what they could in their own particular ways. Um, It's not a particular threat to Christianity, but what this episode ends up focusing on a lot more isn't, does this very real scientific analysis of, or, or academic analysis of this real discovery undermine our faith somehow this focuses on people venerating relics an, an object a relic right and this is this is right. more along the lines of the shroud, the shroud of, turin. of turin which yeah. you know that it's a magical object which of course in reality the shroud of turin was a famous forgery yeah. and radiocarbon yeah. dating has dated the actual shroud of turin to being manufactured when it was manufactured as a forgery yeah. in the middle so, of so the shroud of turin purports to be the burial shroud of Jesus Christ. Right. That when he ascended from the grave, the imprint of his body was left on the shroud. But this is a a medieval object, like Josh said, in the 80s, they had done some radiocarbon dating and and found where it was actually from, uh, causing a, a huge stir. There was a musical on Broadway starring Dean Jones that was all about how the Trout of Turin is real, actually. Uh, (laughs) Also, Catholics are really loony. And then also there's like a mime. Um, (laughs) It ran for about a week. (laughs) It was called Into the Light. Well, in Catholic tradition, there is a lot of a strong uh, tradition of mime. (laughs) So So that that was produced by an by by an Orthodox by uh, an an evangelical group that was deciding to get into Broadway musicals at the time. And then that's where the money not is. have a second venture. That's really where the money is in Broadway <laughs> musicals. After, after the mob becomes unruly uh, at wit's end, there's immediately a smash cut to a TV news broadcast. Wit goes on TV and says that he's returning the cloth to its rightful owner, which is the Israeli government. And uh, that's that he hopes Connie then comes by uh, wit's place to say, hi, uh, she's kind of surprised at just how intense people were about this fucking cloth. Wits wow. a bit, <laughs> Wits also, a bit, you were intense, Connie. <laughs> Wits a bit bummed out that people care so much about the robe and so little about Jesus himself. Uh, the end. That's the episode. And, well, and but, Wits, but they're caring Wits, about the robe is directly a reference to their caring about Jesus. Like Wits, it, Wits, Wits, like a lesson here is like, in what do we put our faith? Right. Are we supposed to put our faith in objects? Or are we just supposed to put our faith in like the concept of faith itself? It's such a it's such a ludicrous. I mean, it's the Dead Sea Scrolls are very fucking important. And this is a lay evangelical tradition. There is no idea of prophecy, revelation, hierarchy, meditation. This does not exist in this tradition. Everything is embodied in a very concrete physical world. And Witt is a man of science. You see him talking about trying to, to weigh all of the options here. 
and the validity of this artifact, like it matters. It matters if you find something that confirms your faith from yeah. this time. Yeah. And, and he's just saying, yeah, but you should just have faith. Fuck because, off. Because. Just because. Just because. Um, and I, I wanted to point to this piece of scripture that is the official scripture of this episode as listed on Focus on the Family's website. It is 2 Timothy 1.12. Which I have to say is the funniest bi- name for a bi- book of the Bible I've ever heard. Hey, what happened? I don't know. Let's listen to Tim. So in 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. It's cool. like they just cool, Tim. reached into a bowl and pulled out a verse and were like, this is the one for the episode. Fuck it. No, you know, I think that this is really fitting, because this episode is ultimately about wit being defeated, right? Mm. Because he, yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he says, we don't know if this is real or not. There's no way to prove it without being destroyed. This just doesn't belong here. Right. Just get mm. it away from us and forget it. Yeah. That it, yeah. like he has failed. He has not beaten this with logic and faith. He has just said, you know what? Get it out of my ice cream parlor. I think, I think you're right. And I think that's interesting. <laughs> get it out of my Christian ice cream parlor. <laughs> the, the, you know, when I think that's an interesting point, Nate, that like, yeah, Wit is the kind of guy who needs to stay winning. If he's not continuing to stay winning he is therefore losing and he's not able to exert full ironclad dominant control over the town of odyssey because he needs to be infallible and 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 there there is too much ambiguity in this situation for him to be infallible yeah i feel like he also owns the warehouse at the end of raiders of the lost ark (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) he's intentionally hiding all of the world's greatest biblical artifacts yeah did he keep the cup? Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's the Holy Grail. It has to be the Grail. <laughs> it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever listened to like the Ricky Gervais, the old radio show. I, I like the Carl Pilkington's and stuff, right? Um, but yeah, Carl Pilkington has a story about this uh, cursed cup where it was like, it's some news story he claimed that where there's a, a pub <laughs> and, and there's a cup on a shelf and, and the publican tells people who come in, oh, you can't drink out of that cup because anybody who drinks out of that mug, they die within a week. <laughs> and, and Ricky Gervais asks Carl, "Why don't they just get rid of the cop?" <laughs> and I gotta know, I gotta know if that cup ever returns to wits and. I, uh, I mean, I, no, Alfred. Alfred returns, but uh, the focus moves to a completely different set of artifacts. What a shame! We'll say. For, um, the other interesting thing here too is like this episode has no sympathy for the relic believers. No, right? like this is just a circus. The The previous one is like, oh, yeah, the rapture freaks like this shit that actually ends to people ends in people killing themselves and shit. Yeah, maybe it's good, actually. Yeah, God bless and this them. episode is like, yeah. yeah, but like we don't have to hand it to the Catholics. We don't. We, don't. <laughs> we definitely don't. <laughs> Issuing a correction regarding previous Odyssey (laughs) episode of mine, you do not, in fact, have to hand it to him. It's such an absurdity. And and the Dead Sea Scrolls do contain other things like the Book of Jubilees, like like I said, which does have these discrepancies. Right. But the the Book of Jubilees already was out there in addition to the Samaritan Torah, in addition to Catholic and Orthodox uh, Apocrypha. There are other things that have other canonizations and contradictions to what the evangelicals like wit want 
to to what they believe, to what they would like there to be in the world. At some point this episode, they were like, we can't talk about the contradictions. We can't talk about mm. like the, the challenges to our faith. We're going to make this a very different episode. Right. Um, this was obviously not written by Paul McCusker, who later converted to Catholicism. This episode was written by Phil Lawler. Okay. I who see. is a, still a committed evangelical. I do have a Simpsons episode that also touches upon one of the earliest written records uh, involving the Bible, which is uh, Homer versus Lisa and the Eighth Commandment. Yeah. <laughs> from the second season. So this is 1991, a little more relevant, which is a great episode. It opens with uh, Homer, the, the thief, hanging out with his friend, uh, Hezron, the graven image maker. They're waiting for <laughs> Moses to come down the mountain and deliver these commandments. Where each, each of them is, is uh, upset to find out that all the things that they've made their living on are now against God's uh, will. Um, but it's a neat kind of inverse of Wit's problem, right? Wit has this artifact and everybody's coming over and he's the greater authority of my faith is stronger than theirs. I know not to put any, you know, any stake in this thing because I have faith in the Bible itself. Whereas Homer is, uh, has a legal cable hookup. He's going to, he's going to show the big <laughs> yeah. fight, Dredrick Tatum versus I forget who. Um, yeah. And Lisa's very upset because she has recently learned that thou shalt not steal is a commandment. And right. more and more of the, Springfield residents are coming over to Homer's house, right? Flanders shows up. Um, Mo shows up and he has to hide all of the mugs he's stolen from Mo's tavern. Mr. Burns comes and he has to hide the like stapler and notepads he's taken from the power plant. Um, <laughs> and the lesson at the end there, right? Lisa is refusing. She's protesting. She's not going to watch the fight. And the Simpsons family all slowly joins them. Um, and Marge says that if you love someone, you have to trust that they'll eventually do the right thing. And ultimately, Homer does miss the fight and then unplug his cable hookup. Uh, yeah. And it's just interesting to me that, right, Wit is just like, all right, whatever, you know, get this out of my face. Whereas, like, Homer, this kind of, you know, rather than the uh, font of knowledge that Wit is, is the exact opposite in Springfield. Yeah. Uh, font of stupidity. Yes. Eventually yeah. comes to realize that he has to do the right thing he has to you know even if he doesn't believe it himself if he you know he's read the pamphlet that says stealing cable and you um but decides for the <laughs> yeah. sake of his family for the sake of their faith that he's going to give up this thing that he cares about at the worst possible time right is an actual right. test of god versus this trinket from you know the middle east that wit is just like i don't know what to do with this let's move on yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's really Where interesting. It just has that, to deal with the burden of exactly. always being right. Yeah. Right. And I think the Simpsons just captured, not, not that they we're really putting them against each other. I am. But the <laughs> Simpsons captures this idea of uh, a test of faith, I think, much better than they do in this one. And I think, Brian, to your point, that they do talk around it because, like you said, the Dead Sea Scrolls, as far as I know, are largely like, this is legit. This is a real piece of actual writing from the time. And they don't want to touch on that so they just have to write around it and yeah simpsons with you know no sacred cows just goes right in and says right. well let's look at somebody actually having their faith tested somebody who is not mm. this once again central authority figure that everybody looks up to yeah. the exact opposite is just much more compelling yeah so yeah, yeah watch absolutely. the simpsons instead of <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I really love that March line about uh, you have to trust that they'll do the right thing, because I think the main fault of wit is that he doesn't trust anyone to do the right thing without him intervening. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. 
Yeah, and it, it, it speaks to the whole idea of like the, the authority figures, too, which Dobson, of course, we'll get to in a little bit, really harps on, which is like you need a strong authority figure to tell you what to do. And God is the strongest authority figure of all. Whereas I think the actual teachings of Jesus are much more about trusting your fellow man and putting your faith mm-hmm. in your community to eventually do the right thing. Um, yeah. And and. Especially the idea, like a test of faith, a real one involves self-sacrifice, right? Yeah. And Homer had to sacrifice something. Wits lost nothing at the end of the episode, nothing except perhaps his faith in his fellow man. Yeah, yeah no, he, just, I mean, he, he just had a rough day. And and he, yeah, it didn't cost him. It, it never does. It no. never costs him anything. Right. Nothing that he does here. He always gains. Right? <laughs> he can't stop winning. Which and can't stop winning. That's prosperity gospel. That's the American yeah. religious tradition. This is how this is how wit wins. Yeah, the W in his name is actually for all the W's yeah. he gets. <laughs> so so basis. we'll get into we'll get wit into another hard situation that he doesn't have to make any sacrifice for when we return from our break. All right. Well, hello, listeners. It's me, Dr. Montgomery Flonk, inventor of Dr. Flonk's all-in-one shampoo and tile cleaner. Do you have an extraordinarily long and stretchy taint? Do you find your girthy and supple taint misbehaving? Does your stretchy, squishy taint ever tickle the back of your knee so you think that maybe it's the hand of your long-dead wife? Then you need the taint holder. Dr. Flonk's patented design gathers the various bits of your unwieldy taint and scoops them up into one big pile that makes maneuvering a breeze. Got a pair of skinny jeans that you've been dying to wear? Taint holders got you covered. Sick of accidentally stepping on your taint when you don't tuck it into your big socks? Taint holder is on it. Sick of hearing your concerned friends tell you that your taint shouldn't be stretchy like that? And that it kinda looks like something laid eggs in your taint that'd do the hatch at any minute? What are they? The taint police? Taint likely. So say bye-bye to duct taping your loose hangy bits to your inner thigh and get yourself a taint holder today. At least until the eggs have had enough time to incubate and can hatch to begin the dominion of our future wasp overlords. Oh, looks like it's my time to go. I give my life so the future might be saved. Fly forth, my pretties. Fly forth and tell the world what's a buzz. Tell them what's a happening. Dr. Flonk's taint holder. If you think you're in danger, you taint. Welcome, uh, welcome back. Uh, we're probably going to get letters about that one. Oh um, we should oh. probably not have that sponsor anymore. <laughs> so we're on home is where the hurt is, and it's more like a home is where the Kurt is. That's actually a really good point, dude. This is named Kurt. And so for our listeners at home, or, you know, on the prowl, whichever you are. <laughs> Our <laughs> listeners like skulking about alleyways, snapping their fingers and leather jackets. We have a large, a large sector of our audience is private detectives. Right. Um, yeah. So. Or newsies. This is Kurt. Not Kirk. You might remember Kurt from the episode of Adventures in Odyssey that we recapped a little while back where he got in the imagination station with Robin 
and they went back and met Elijah and almost got killed by Queen Jezebel. The beginning of this episode finds Lucy Cunningham Schultz, our goody little two-shoes, fucking insufferable, little precocious kid. Creationist. Creationist dipshit. White privilege. Stay out of other people's business, Lucy. Coming across Kurt. Kurt is reading in the library and, and she's pretty surprised that he's there because Kurt is not known for his, you know, uh, uh, academic leanings. Uh, apparently he's researching publishers. He's a ne'er-do-well and only good kids go to the library. That's right. He's a he's a uh, researching publishers because he wants to get sent a teacher's edition of a math book so as to get all the answers. And uh, which is a genius move, quite frankly. Yeah. And so uh, this, is, this is published by Macadamian Publishing. That's right. Uh, by the way, according to Chris in the intro here, Trouble is apparently right Kurt Stevens' middle name. So mm. that's a thing. With a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for PTL. That's right. So I got my uh, reference sheet, right? Some background information, yes. uh, mm. as you do before guesting on the yeah, show. The, and the dossier. I did think yeah. it was a little, a little harsh because Kurt, poor Kurt, has just two sentences, a recurring child character, just kind of a shitty kid. <laughs> and considering my only exposure to Kurt is this episode, it seems kind of hard. He deserves it. No, he, he does he, deserve he, it. He lacks moral continence. That's, but like, and that's his arc. I mean, like outside yeah. of this episode, the other, I think, 12 episodes that he's in, the whole point is just that he's a shitty kid. Yeah. Like, like, is he, is he rude or just like, doesn't no, follow he the just teachings kind of, of Christ? He's, all, he's always, he's always got scams. Right. He's always running a scam. See, I don't, I love that. So he, he he's always doing bits. He comes up with a character named Fargon. He's just, you know, <laughs> I find this oddly relatable. <laughs> His last episode is one where he's like running for student body president against Lucy and decides to like turn it into a cutthroat you know, like no holds barred, take no prisoners kind of campaign yeah. where he just runs her through the muck. So it's like it's like um, election, uh, the movie yes. election, but the but the other way around. That's where election got it was from. Adventures ah, Odyssey. you know this. So uh, in the library, he finds information about this publisher, Macadamia Publishing, and goes and calls the publisher up on the phone. Uh, he employs a really shitty, like deep adult voice and uh, gives his full information like a fucking idiot. Yeah, um, and also has full voice conversations uh, with Lucy about how he's totally getting away with it. Yeah, while he's on this in one the library, in yeah. the library, <laughs> while he is on this one-sided phone call with the uh, with the, with the publisher, uh, the publisher actually does take the order, uh, and so Kurt has then set up a delivery to his home address under his at, real at name no at no cost, like a fucking idiot. Can I just point out that the name of the guy who wrote the math book is Malcolm Dripwich? So Kurt then goes home to tell his dad about this. And Nate, as you were listening to this episode, you texted me, uh, LOL, the clinking of ice in the glass yes. or something yeah, along so those lines. Uh, so Kurt comes in and the first sound you hear is ice clinking in the glass yeah. because his dad is Julian from the trailer. Park yeah, that's exactly the <laughs> mental image that I conjured up. And Do you want something to eat? I could fix us a couple of sandwiches. I had to clean my own glass. Huh? I had to clean my own glass. We didn't get the dishes done last night. How many times do I have to tell you? So Kurt, Kurt's dad has one glass again, like Julian and the mm -hmm. trailer park boys. Yep. Um, his dad is played by Hugh Farrington, who in his career is mostly known for a recurring role that he had on TJ Hooker starring William Shatner in the eighties. But uh, Kurt lives in a place called Potter's Park, which further Potter. 
furthers my theory that Odyssey is just Bedford Falls if Mr. Potter had actually successfully sure. taken it over. Oh, sure. Oh, man. I like Which great. for like these this. people is Utopia. That's yeah. great. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Damn. Well, I was very disappointed at the turn that it took because I thought that this math book scheme was genius and i wanted to hear more about that <laughs> it's yeah. such a misdirect and yeah and it's then such a family ties episode it, it just very quickly pivots to people meddling in in kurt's home life and very little about whether or not he can get away with this scheme i yeah what's what's fascinating too is that the book was free and i was like no fucking way my experience growing up at a, a school that did not have very good funding um Someone stole the teacher's edition of a textbook. Nice. And it was catastrophic because they couldn't order it again because it was so far out of print. Mm. <laughs> Whoa. Because they were just using really old edition. We, yeah. we were using stuff that was from before I was born. Right. Yeah. I distinctly remember being in AP English my senior year of high school. There was a rule in uh, in the classroom, like, you know, at the, at the the in the syllabus at the beginning of the year, our, our teacher, there was like a list of rules that we could not, things we could not do. And if she found out that any of us had visited the website for sparknotes.com, uh, for anything that we were reading, uh, we would be automatically automatically fail the class, fail the entire class. And we all found that a little suspect because, you know, if you're using it as study aids, Sparknotes can actually be very helpful, right, um, right. you know, if in addition to reading the book, you read the Sparknotes. Um, and then we later found out it's because all the quizzes that she gave were oh, verbatim yeah, from Sparknotes. <laughs> but the thing was, is that so we figured this out. We all went on Sparknotes and did it. And it became a detente because she couldn't accuse us of getting all 100% because exactly. then we would have to accuse her of just using spark spark notes. Notes. <laughs> But uh, the thing that struck me most about Kurt's dad in this in this moment is that he kind of sounded like if Kelsey Grammer was trying to play a blue collar guy. Like I just, Oof. I didn't buy... <laughs> I didn't buy this character as like a lived in alcoholic, especially yeah. because he has a, a line about sandwiches. Well, that this was the thing, right? It was like that they, baffles they, me. They, they portray a somewhat inaccurate portrayal of the confusion that results from being drunk. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's a very like writerly because type thing. What, the way that it's portrayed here is that alcoholism results in you confusing what you are hearing as if like I would hear you saying straight A and I would hear sandwich, which is not the case. That's not how alcoholism works. But they portray sort of the leap in logic, which is a real thing with alcoholism. You 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 sort of like miss the connection sometimes. The train misses the station on yeah. what is supposed to happen or what you're supposed to say next or you lose your train of thought midway. Yeah. I would say that hearing straight A and thinking you hear sandwich is more of a thing that you would do if you're high than if you're drunk. It wouldn't really happen either way, but like it's just not quite right. But the, the point comes across that like Kurt's dad is not just a little bit drunk. He's blackout, right? Yeah. Like, he, yeah, a thing that 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 just uh, just listening to that clip just now that I actually clocked was that Kurt enters the scene saying I can make some sandwiches or something. Uh, so it's almost as though he's forgotten the entire bit of their conversation up until that point. He's like, wait, you said something about sandwiches. Like right. it, it's like yeah. it's like he's not entirely like experiencing temp uh, temporal time in this. Which again way. is which would be more uh, a weed thing than yeah. an alcohol. Thing, so absolutely. so Lucy goes over to Wit. She's like, I have to stop this scheme. If Kurt gets a hold of the, the teacher's edition of the math book, we're fucked. Right. Society living with fallen. dogs. Oh, well, do you know what company it is? Um, he said it. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's the name of a nut. A nut? 
a nut? You mean macadamia? Oh, no. oh, no. Well, macadamia oh, publishing is a subsidiary. That is, it's owned by Universal Press. So, of course, like all things, wit has his hands in this. Has wit has his hands absolutely filthy with nut. And... <laughs> I mean, this this ticked me off. I'm not going to lie. It has been clearly established at this point that Wit just knows everything. But like the yep. specifics that he drops on her yeah. are like just once again, talking over and. And like for the sake of his own benefit, like sharing this, like that he has superior knowledge <laughs> is yeah. is like very classic mean spirited wit instead of yeah. just saying, yeah. oh, this company is going to have somebody come by and deliver it personally, blah, blah, blah. He has to name drop that it is a subsidiary. That it's, and it's his. Like, right. It serves and, and, only himself and his own ego. And, right. and yeah. to highlight that for a second, yes, this means that they don't mail it. They actually bring a salesman out right. with a suitcase and a fedora to your door to bring the book. Which is a free book. Well, but it's I mean, sort of right. Like this is this is actually pretty plausible. Like the the, the teacher's edition in 1991. Would, well, I don't know. I mean, what I'm maybe like this way of doing it is a bit of a contrivance, but it makes sense that like the teacher's edition would be free if and only if you bought 25 copies for your class. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, the, the sure, free thing yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And, and it would make sense that they would follow up with you. And maybe it wouldn't be an in-person visit, but it makes sense that a sales rep would follow up with you to secure the actual like it's delivery like, of all of every, the, every time the school gets new books, you have to lock up all your farmer's daughters. <laughs> <laughs> And also, Wit, you agree that education should be free then. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Interesting. So because of this, then this kind of this this sort of uh, this plants the bomb right. that you're waiting to go off. Right. You're like, you know, you have the sort of dramatic irony where Wit and Lucy think, oh, ho, 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 the scheme is going to break apart. Right. But then you, the audience, are going, this kid is going to be horrifically beat. Right. We have, right. We this have is the, where your brain is going. The dramatic irony of this is actually set up. I would say pretty well uh, from a dramatic standpoint. Um, so what ends up happening then, uh, because Lucy doesn't know where Kurt lives, she follows him home after school the next day. Um, yeah. Again, the home is in a trailer park. This is strongly class coded, which is really interesting to me because like, again, the good upright citizens of Odyssey are all middle to upper middle class. And then Wit is the benevolent patriarch who sits at top of it all. Whereas Kurt is class coded as being working class, right? He lives yeah. in a trailer park. His dad's a drunk. Um, and so that also is probably part of what contributes to his subpar moral fiber, honestly, is the fact that he is not of the class of the rest of Odyssey's uh, benevolent capitalists. But right. uh, what ends up happening here then is that Lucy follows Kurt home then to that trailer park. Kurt's dad is home and was home when the book salesman came by. Uh, and Lucy discovers this because she then like basically just like jumps up on Kurt and uh, is there at the doorstep when Kurt's dad is there. And Kurt is understandably yeah. mortified about this situation because yeah, his dad's his dad's drunk. Uh, yep. And, you know, Lucy says, I've never gone over to your house before, uh, which is, you know, uh, I, I actually felt like this second half of the episode, as much as I did miss the the shenanigans of like, oh, he's going to be found out. Uh, uh, of the book of like the book scheme uh it felt very real to me yeah. like there were 
you know, not to get into too, too specifics, but there were kids that I was not allowed to go over to their house if the dad was home. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. growing up and it was just like oh i've never been to this guy's house or like i'd have friends i'd be like i you know i would love to go over to your house and the friend would say you can't come over to my house but i will go over to your house right it was a lot because there was a lot of alcoholism you know around and this this is the exact interaction that you know you would have when you finally meet that parent and you're like oh there is something very off and that kids can sense that you know yeah and can and you know that lucy comes to the conclusion that he is an alcoholic you know i thought was very perceptive because kids know this stuff yeah so she goes back to wit and she says you know what she saw and she's like i think this is what's going on and he says well let's not jump to conclusions and Wit takes Lucy to Kurt's house. This is what, again, what we were talking about with the Jacobs girls with like Melanie disappearing for a single hour and her parents are running around town. But then like Lucy's just hanging out with Wit, the ice cream guy who has commandeered a bus and they go over to Potter's Field. He hails the bus. And and I'm curious at this point, too, to hear the same guy is on that bus. Like, I still haven't gotten home. (laughs) My wife left me for a horse. Uh, I'm curious to hear at this point, too, Nate, like you had... Up until this point, what you've been listening to in Adventures in Odyssey has been mostly lighthearted, right? This has been very Simpsons-esque. This is a significant tone shift, right? And I'm, I'm curious, mm, like, yeah. as you started to hear this tone shift, I'm curious how it hit you uh, and sort of like what where, where your head is at at this point. Well, it's very much devoid of whimsy, which, you know, you can't say that there's not whimsy peppered throughout other episodes of Adventures in Odyssey. Uh, it is interesting, you know, to someone's earlier point that it doesn't seem like there's firsthand experience with what it is to actually be drunk or be an alcoholic, like what that substance does to, to change a person. But when we get to that point, when, when Lucy's coming over, uh, that level of secondhand embarrassment that Kurt is feeling does seem to be tapped from a very real well. Yeah. And like, that's the part that really, I think drives this and makes it a, more compelling versus not episode is that like, there is a very real emotion here in like the, the middle act where even if you are not, you know, a kid living in a trailer park with an alcoholic dad who confuses straight A's for sandwiches, like that level of embarrassment and this thing of like, I can't let anybody find out. I don't want people to treat me differently, which I think comes up actually later in the episode. Like, yeah. is tapping from a very real spring of emotion. Yeah, I think I think this episode does not capture the experience of of being drunk for sure. Um because probably most of the people writing this show have never had a drop of alcohol in their life. <laughs> uh, but it I think it does capture I think most vividly the experience of having a friend and finding out that their parent is drunk. But I think it also does have a very realistic uh, understanding of being a kid with an alcoholic parent um, and what that means for your, your life. And when I wanted to, to tap into this because you expect like, this is going to go to the melodramatic scene. You expect this is going to go to the scene where he goes in the house. Right. And since we're doing the, it's a wonderful life comparisons, right. It's George Bailey getting slapped around by the, the pharmacist right. as a kid. And that doesn't happen here. No. Like that's the classic after school special, very special episode kind of thing where it's like yeah. you, you find out a parent is drunk. They're abusive, right? You, you never have someone who has an abusive parent. Who's not a drunk or yeah. a drunk parent who is not abusive but this is really no his dad's an alcoholic yeah 
and, and, yeah, and that's it. what what ends up happening then instead is that once fucking wit makes it his business and goes yeah. to uh kurt's house with lucy in tow uh, a couple things happen first of all wit knocks on the door kurt's dad answers and he is completely lucid something i can do for you well i'm john whitaker from town Oh, yeah. You own that kid shop that Kurt likes so much. Yeah. I've been past it. And who are you? I'm Lucy. Don't you remember? Should I? Well, I was here a week ago. I'm a friend of Kurt's. We met. Oh, yeah. Sure. How could I forget? Especially since Kurt never has his friends around. He's friendly. You know, he's he probably on a on a good day looks like any other parent. Yep. In Odyssey. Encourages Wit to come by again sometime. Probably goes to church. Yep. So we can you know, so we like, can host him and be like a proper host. He's right. just not, yeah. you know. If I may, armchair therapist, I think Kurt's dad is bipolar and happens to drink versus being mm. an alcoholic. And that is what really drives his behavior change. Mm. Interesting. And I don't I don't know if that's intentional. Obviously, I think they wrote it to be about alcoholism and uh such, but the the way he reacts is so what, polar for for lack of right, a better yeah, word right yeah, that yeah. i think i think that's what's what's eating his uh i think a lot of times some of these episodes end up being about something that the writer's kid encountered recently hmm. with one of their friends sure right um that definitely happened with the episode that was about death um where where uh the bolty sisters had lost a, a friend of theirs at school right hmm. and so i think this was probably from an encounter that one of these people had with the parent of another kid and in, that in, their child went to school very with. literally have gone over to the person's house and yeah. experienced a very different person from the person that their kid encountered. That's totally so possible. That's why I think sometimes Odyssey, because it has strong enough writers working for it, that sometimes even though they're ideologues and they're, they're, you know, they're not on the level of, of most writers, they still can tap into something without realizing it. Well, and this, okay, so this is a, yeah. an episode written by Paul McCusker. This is a Paul McCusker episode. Okay. proves himself to be the strongest writer in this series. Yeah, you can, you can like, it, I wrote the note that, uh, uh, you know, there's subtlety, Odyssey, you make it so hard for me to completely hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what, what, what was the, to that point, AJ, what was the thing about this that made you feel that way in terms of the subtlety or the characterization that was uh, interesting? It's mostly the next scene. It is okay. the scene where uh, Kurt's, Kurt's dad reveals in that conversation that Kurt's not there. He's he's out fishing like he goes every Saturday, except the Saturdays when Jesus comes back. Right. And uh, he's down by the creek. <laughs> uh, he's uh, that that's sort of where like his his alone time. And uh, Lucy and Wit decide to go and visit him uh, at the old fishing hole. Uh, or rather Lucy decides to go visit him and then wit waits in the bushes yeah. and emerges like a reverse Homer out of the hedges midway yes. through saying it was me. Yeah, really cool stuff. Imagine like, I just want to point out how fucking cool it is that wit is a grown ass man. He's like 60, maybe just like, and there are literal children here. He's camping out in the bushes for minutes, just like, laying in wait for the right moment to emerge that's so fucking cool there's a huge line of townsfolk who are just waiting for wits end to open back up there's like a back in 10 minutes sign and he's just hanging out in the woods somewhere they're all still looking for the cloth (laughs) give me the cloth um it's and i think actually the thing that always bothers me is that wit makes every scene he's in worse uh, mm. And what I mean by that is that there's a very similar like heart to heart scene that happens in uh, the 
episode that we listened to Monty's where, Christmas in Monty's Christmas, mm. where it's between Connie and Monty, yeah. Yeah. which is a lovely moving scene that Wit has no part of. And it's two yeah. people bonding over childhood trauma and Connie saying, hey, it does get better. And had this scene just been Lucy, I think it would have been an alt Lucy and Kurt. It would have been an all timer for me yeah. But because mm-hmm. Wit happens to like bud his face in there. It is it is cheapened a little bit for me. But uh, full disclosure on this, I did cry listening to this scene Uh because there's something it's it's my kryptonite but uh kurt asserts that like it's not a problem that his dad drinks and Mm -hmm. he's so embarrassed that you know that that everyone knows about it now and wit just saying basically he basically pulls the move from um oh no the janitor movie with the math a goodwill hunting uh he pulls (laughs) a goodwill hunting moment where he says uh basically it's not your fault yeah it's not your fault and it's okay that you've he's like you've had to keep this secret on your own all this time that must have been so hard for you and, well, and it's it's one of the best examples of oh. having a proper boundary too where he's like yeah you know we know this now you you did try to hide this from us but we know it that doesn't go back right we yeah. don't get to not know that anymore but what that means is that if you need someone to talk to and you haven't you haven't felt that you've needed that, right? You are self-sufficient. Like so many kids with, with parents who struggle with addiction, they develop self-sufficiency yeah. at a younger age. Um, but like, talk to us. Yeah. yeah. I know, Lucy knows, but we're, I'm not, and th- this is what really surprises me about this episode. He's like, but like, I'm not going to bother you about right. it. You come talk to me. I won't. Be like, so, hey, how's your dad doing this, these mm-hmm. days? Right. It's like, which would be the very normal distance. wit move. That's like the shit wit yeah. usually pulls. Yeah. yeah. He wants to meddle. He's a, he's, he's, you know, he's a chronic meddler. And um, had the episode left it at that, it would have been great. Yeah. But well, we, yeah. Be, before we move forward, though, I, I, I do want to uh, talk about the conversation between Lucy and Kurt here because I do, I agree yeah. with you, AJ, that it's like, it's actually really pretty nice. The way that this the way that this goes. Yeah. Um, so when Lucy finds Kurt, this is before Wit emerges from the bushes. <laughs> uh, you know, Lucy finds Kurt fishing at the lake and Lucy sort of presses him about the other day. And she's like, like, what's going on? Like, he doesn't hit you or anything like that, does he? Which I guess it's OK if Wit is hitting kids, but yeah. not if it's anybody else, whatever. So. Kurt then reveals to Lucy that his dad is an alcoholic and that his mom walked out on them when he was young. And I thought the detail that Kurt gives on his mom is really interesting, too, where she's, you know, Lucy's trying to ask more questions about his mm-hmm. mom. And he's like, I don't care. Right. He, and he genuinely does actually don't like I, I don't care where she is. I don't care about if she ever calls again. That's yeah. that's a part of my life that's just absolutely evaporated. It, it, I don't care about that woman. And what's interesting which, which is is such an interesting detail. Again, Paul McCusker is really tapping right. into something very real here because it's yeah. not written in such a way that he says that because he's like overcompensating for anything. He just genuinely yeah. he he can't be bothered about that because she couldn't be bothered to care about him. At this point, then we sort of get to the heart of this conversation where Lucy says, "Like, well, that's really sad," and mm-hmm. Kurt says, "It's not sad. It just is." Uh, yeah. which really hit me hard um, because for me personally, my connection to this is not being from a, a broken family, but it, the, 
the number of times I have had this conversation has been around my my illness, my disease, right? I have cystic fibrosis. For those of you listening who don't know, it's a classic disease, top 10 all-timer in terms of like genetically inherited diseases. <laughs> they, they don't make diseases like that They sure that fucking don't, dude. Yeah. Um, this used to be a country where we made diseases like that. And I've, but, I've, I've talked to so many people about that and talked about the prognosis, which up until relatively recently was pretty poor. Thankfully, it's gotten a lot better now because of advances in, uh, in, in pharmaceutical science. But... I've talked to people about this and they've just said, like, I feel I'm so sorry. I feel so sorry for you. That's so sad. And I've just I've just said, like. This exact same thing, pretty much verbatim, it's not sad. It is. I can't change it. It's immutable. It's part of the fabric of the thing that I've grown up with. And I really connected with Kurt in this moment, particularly because in this moment he is talking to Lucy, who is somebody who this experience is completely outside of her frame of reference. Right. And the only way that she can understand it is through sympathy, but he doesn't want sympathy and he doesn't need sympathy. Genuinely. He yeah. just needs somebody to understand that it is the situation. We so I feel like a lot of times listening to Odyssey that like, it's just like when something like this pops up, that is, that is better than a lot of the other episodes that I, I ascribe a higher mark to it because the stuff around it is usually not my cup of tea. <laughs> so like, I mean, did this scene strike you in any particular, like in a way that like it struck us or is it just because we've been living in this odyssey world as long <laughs> as we have? No, it's, it's definitely a powerful scene. And I think my favorite part, I mean, I think Kurt connecting with Lucy is much more important, but to me as someone who is like the rest of the town of Odyssey, very focused on uh, Wit himself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when Wit comes in and says, we will leave you alone because we care about you mm. is like very like outside of his usual character. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's really mm -hmm. important. Obviously they meant for this episode. I mean, is it Chris at the end? I forget. Someone says yeah, like, Chris. Hey, this yeah. doesn't have a happy ending. Right. Um, and they were really trying to do something different with this episode. Or actually, it was, sorry, it, just, it was just, Chuck. It was Chuck Bolte, the executive Chuck producer Bolte. of the show, oh, who comes right. in and says that. On. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Taking that moment to say, like, I don't know, I, we can get to the overall message after this, but I think taking the moment to say, like, Wit is just going to step back from this and not in a put it, like, you know, pushed it under the rug like they did with the Jesus cloth, um, but in a, like, the right thing to do is to not involve myself. Mm hmm up until or if you need me to is it, is very interesting. Did it touch you personally? Like, did it make you feel something? You know, the father, like I said, seemed more reminiscent of bipolar, which yeah. to get a little personal, like runs on the mom, my mom's side of the family. Okay. I mm -hmm. had an uncle who happened to be alcoholic, but it was an extension of that bipolar. Right. And like, so that like did resonate with me. And it is interesting to backtrack a little bit. Like, Kurt's dad knows where he is on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. That's not mm -hmm. a, maybe he is negligent. Maybe he is awful in other ways, but like right. that is not a telltale sign of a completely absent parent who doesn't care is checked out. Yeah. Like he knows that his kid has this Saturday ritual of going off by himself. And like to that point, I don't think it's about alcoholism. I, I think it's more about mm -hmm. Kurt's embarrassment about his overall family situation. Yeah. He doesn't have yeah. a mom in his life is like lower middle class living in a trailer park. Yes, his dad drinks is embarrassing in other ways, but like it is more about the fact that that is a point of shame for him right. than that it yeah. 
it is a horrible way that he has to live. You know, he's made peace with, like you said, Josh, like it's not sad. It's just the way it is. Right. And and that judgment that outside judgment is the part that really seems to weigh on him. The, the, the shame in the, in the shame piece is, is interesting to me because I grew up in a town not unlike Odyssey in many regards, um, a, a town that was very much no sidewalks. <laughs> we had sidewalks, but we, uh, you know, had a church every fourth block. Right. And yes. <laughs> um, that is in some neighborhoods of the city. Actually literally true. Yes. true. Um, but, you know, a, a town settled by Dutch Protestants who uh, made the church the cornerstone of everything that they did. And in our town, there were the ones who were sort of of that of that cloth. What what would be the term for that? The of Jesus that, cloth. Yes. Of yeah, the yeah. Jesus cloth. Mm-hmm, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and frankly, that's people like me. Like I grew up being from a lineage that directly descended from a lot of these fucking Dutch freaks who yes. settled <laughs> the area in the first place. I can trace. I was, I was on a Zoom call with Josh when he was going through his ancestry yeah. details. Yeah, I can. I can. I can trace <laughs> every branch of my family tree pretty much directly back to the Netherlands. Um, and almost all of them then stayed in Michigan or the, the sort of like Great Lakes Basin. After Just centuries of stern Protestants. I am literally the first person in my entire entire family tree going back, at least to have moved out of the Great Lakes Basin permanently. One of my friends growing up was in a very unstable home situation frequently bouncing back and forth between parents, occasionally not literally not knowing where they were going to lay their head at night. That's something that I didn't know about at all up until literally a couple of years ago. And it was because we had gotten to talking about some of this stuff and you, you, you have to hide that sort of thing because of the shame that would come if people understood that your situation was not nearly as stable or as right as the sort of prevailing norm in the community. And it, yeah, and it becomes a moral judgment too. It sure does. Well, if you're from a house like that, like what's going on with you? Kurt's dad, you know, his wife left him. He has a night shift factory job doesn't really sound like a union job. Right. Right. It sounds like it's not paying very well. Pretty sure there are no unions in Odyssey, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Potter won. So, yeah. Right. I also had friends, more than one friend growing up, you know, who, who, who had the same situation because I'm from McKinley County, New Mexico. It alternates, you know, between a couple counties and like Mississippi is the poorest county in the country. Mm. Um, It's a border town on a reservation. Right. And I knew friends, you know, I'd met their parents, but you know, people whose parents either were in recovery or were still struggling with alcoholism. And so much of it is related to other environmental factors, right? Poverty and mental illness and um, disenfranchisement and disconnection from culture and things like that, that that affect the area. Maybe there was a little bit less shame around it, but like kids who were going to Christian school with me. Yeah, there was still a little bit of a like, "Mm, I'm not going to talk about this, you know, all that up front. The rea- the reality of it really is just like this. It's like, well, so now I know and that's that's life. The episode ends with us cutting to Kurt just sobbing. Yeah. Uh while he's fishing uh by the creek and um Chuck Bolte, the producer then comes on and says this story does not have a happy ending, but the, the only thing you can really do is pray for these people, 
which is where I think the episode completely shits the fucking yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and let me let me point out the scripture that is tied to this episode, because every episode you go to their <laughs> website, there's a piece of scripture. The last one was nonsensical. The scripture for this episode is two verses. One is from Proverbs. One is from Ephesians. And so the first one says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Suck my dick. The second verse being, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. That's just not even. That's not the point. No, but it's like, it's like, like you said, Nate, like it's not, this is, that's not what this is about. Yeah, not at all. It's a lot of, I think, obviously all of us kind of talked about this episode with a little bit of reverence, like, like made some important points and just to flush that goodwill by making it like clearly the point was not about the math book the point was not about the father's drinking like it's about shame and and fear of judgment and fear of being categorized as outside or less together than you appear right but yeah no what a what a way to to really get rid of All the things you love about the episode. Yeah, how, how did you feel? Oh, it's definitely about drinking. How, how did you feel about that, like, uh, sort of heel, I call it a heel turn at the end, right? That. Yeah. <laughs> how did that hit you? That's what it feels like, yeah. Just very, very stupid. Very, you know, to everyone else's point, like, such a well-written episode up until that, that really feels like, like someone else at the last minute was like, no, we need to show that this kid is really sad. Right. And that yeah. not only is he living with this, but he is like suffering in a way that he needs to be prayed for mm-hmm. rather than a like this is a kid who is living with this. And to its point, like should be left alone until he needs something, you know, all he needs yeah. is to know that someone understands and will be there for him if he reaches out. Well, it, it, it right. Like his crying at the end there is justified if it's from the experience of like, holy shit, my secret shame has now been revealed. And and, and now I need to decompress from that, like, extremely yeah. emotionally uh, charged moment. But yeah. if the crying is come from, coming from a place of he's so sad about his dad, then that is so much less dramatically powerful. Right. It misses yeah. the point of their own episode. Yeah. So, so the Simpsons episode I'd like to tie this to is not an exact parallel. Um, but second season, so 1991, correct time frame here is uh, yeah. Bart gets an F, yeah. uh, which is Bart is is doing very poorly in school to the point where if he flunks this history test, he is going to have to repeat the fourth grade. Bart Simpson, as we all know, a, a reverent, you know, ne'er do well, doesn't seem to have any care in the world other than like, you know, getting away with his his tricks and schemes. But he's shaken to the core to think that he might have to repeat a grade Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where he actually prays. Like this is an episode about Mm -hmm. shame and faith. Bart actually prays and says that he needs a chance to study and take this test. He gets a snow day the next day. Once again, this is a, this is a temptation, uh, a test from God to say, here, you've got your day. It's, I think the mayor, Mayor Quimby describes it as as officially the most fun day in the history of Springfield. <laughs> and Bart stays inside to study for his history test. After that amazing monologue from Lisa, too, where they're like shooting her at a low angle. I heard you last night, Bart. You prayed for this. Now your prayers have been answered. I'm no theologian. I don't know who or what God is exactly. All I know is he's a force more powerful than mom and dad put together, and you owe him big. I think a lot of especially kids who are raised in more devout Christian households 
think of the Simpsons as this very, uh, you know, unreligious, risque. you know, yeah. risque. Yeah, not we, we did show. not watch it growing up. Right. Because they do. Obviously, they do poke fun, but there is a lot of faith baked into the show. And yeah, so yeah. Bart studies cut to he still gets an F and he breaks down in front of his teacher saying, maybe I'm a failure. This is the best I can do. I worked mm. really hard on this and I yeah. still got an F. And I think that's a similar parallel to like the shame that Kurt is going through um, of that external judgment. Right. And um, right. And Bart does have an actual failure, right? It's not just this is the living situation he's in. It's just like he's faced with maybe his own limitations and doesn't want to be judged that way, right? He wants to be yeah. the, the cut up who doesn't care. And that's why he gets right. a bad grade. And not just, no, he's stuck repeating a grade because he really can't do it and just doesn't end on the same sour note that that Adventures in Odyssey yeah. takes of this kid just needs to be prayed for. Well, there's always, there's always this need in adventures in Odyssey, particularly earlier on uh, to just kind of like put a bow on it at the end. Right. Because you got to have the Bible first. You got to have Chris like sit doing her little like, ah, and, and so, yeah, you can't just leave it on any sort of note of ambiguity because to do so would undermine the very dogmatic way in which the series preaches its core values. And I think that that's a really nice pivot into talking about this next and final episode. Dobson comes to town where we, this is the first and only, this is the actual first and only episode of Adventures in Odyssey to feature Dr. James Dobson himself. Wow. AJ did not know about Adventures in Odyssey before we started this podcast. I specifically did this to hurt him. Right. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a Dom sub thing. Although yeah. you actually um, ended up hurting me more, ironically. You know, I grew up with this show and I was expecting this to damage me a lot more. It doesn't. I am I am at peace. I am a lily on the river. I listen to this stuff and I just think it's funny. And Josh is like getting further and further down the well. And AJ is just like, we've opened up a whole new world to him. Yeah. So like, we've just done what we've done to you, Nate, but for a year now. I just want to talk about focus for a little bit, just to kind of clear this. And then we can jump right into talking about yeah. the episode. Yeah. Focus on the family was an organization that was created by Dr. James Dobson, who we are about to meet in this episode. He was a a psychologist. A psychologist in California, worked with a very famous eugenicist early in his career. Uh, And uh, so he went to and then for a time practiced at at the University of Southern California uh, and in the built out the beginnings of focus on the family there focus on the family was started as an organization whose stated reason of existing was to uh and i don't remember verbatim what it was but it's more or less to protect the quote-unquote traditional family right uh the values of the traditional christian or as they like to say judeo-christian which is always really funny to me but let's be real it's the evangelical christian i love love going to the synagogue cathedral with all my judeo-christian friends exactly um and so (laughs) this organization was created by dobson who his primary reason his raison d'etre essentially was making sure that kids got their asses whooped when it was necessary. Yeah. Um, 
this is right coming out of sort of the uh, the, the permissive uh, culture of the 70s uh, into the 80s. Let kids make their own mistakes. Exactly. You know, that kind of stuff. And what Dobbs, Dobson observed as embodied in his seminal book, Dare to Discipline, was that, semen. <laughs> was that because of the lack of real parenting, because of the lack of proper boundaries, uh, Kids were just kind of doing whatever the fuck they wanted. And Dobson but also Dobson was observing things that were coming about as a result of the economic crisis of the 1970s right. and the austerity politics of the 1980s brought in by Reagan that led to the, a spike in violent crime all the way until the, the beginning of the 1990s. Right. But from Dobson's perspective, this was strictly the result of bad parenting. It was the hippies. It was the hippies. It was the result of uh, not disciplining your children. I'm going to read you real quick uh, an excerpt from Dare to Discipline uh, about a scenario that he absolutely 100% made up. Mr. Holloway was the father of a teenage girl named Becky. He came to see me in desperation one afternoon and related the cause for this concern. Becky had never been required to obey or respect her parents, and her early years were hectic for the entire family. Mrs. (laughs) Holloway was confident that Becky would eventually become more manageable but that improvement never came. This child held her parents in utter contempt from her youngest childhood. She was sullen, disrespectful, selfish, and uncooperative. Mr. and Mrs. Holloway did not feel they had the right to make demands on their daughter, so they smiled politely and pretended not to notice. Their magnanimous attitude became more difficult to maintain as Becky steamrolled into puberty and adolescence. She was a perpetual malcontent, sneering at her family in disgust. Mr. and Mrs. Holloway were afraid to antagonize her in any way because she would throw the most violent tantrums imaginable. They were victims of emotional blackmail. They thought they could buy her cooperation, which led them to install a private telephone in her room. She accepted it without gratitude and accumulated an $86 bill during the first month of usage. They thought a party might make her happy. Mrs. Holloway worked very hard to get the house decorated and the refreshments prepared. On the appointed evening, a mob of dirty, profane teenagers swarmed into the house, breaking into... Just like pen. Just like 19 pig pens all running into the room at once. Breaking and destroying the furnishings as they came, as they came, they were also coming all over the house. During the course of the evening, there's a cloth for that. During, that's right. <laughs> during the course of the evening, Mrs. Holloway said something that angered Becky. Mr. Holloway had been away from home, and he returned to find his wife lying in a pool of blood in the bathroom. What the Becky fuck? Had Wait, st- what? <laughs> <laughs> Becky had struck her down and left her helpless on the floor. He found his unconcerned daughter in the backyard dancing with her friends. He spoke with tears in his eyes as he described for me the details of their private nightmare. Mrs. Holloway was still in the hospital, contemplating her parental failures. The greatest tragedy in this incident lies in the permanence of the problem. No simple therapy can eradicate the scars that are burned into the lives of these three unfortunate people. They have paid an exorbitant price (sighs) for underestimating the importance of respect in Becky's early childhood. God, James Thompson hates his kids. This is what I'll say. Dobson worked at a hospital. USC Medical Center. So he was working with kids who had been committed. Right. So I don't doubt that a lot of what is laid out here is what happened. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But Dobson's solution is that kid should have just been hit enough as a four year old when clearly there's like there's there's a much bigger issue here cognitively with this with this young girl. Right. And I and, and to be fair, probably also a pretty serious issue with the way that her parents were parenting her like. Sure. Yeah. But like she fucking beat her mom to a bloody pulp right. in a bathroom. Right. That doesn't really come from. 
oh, they were just too permissive towards their extremely average, ordinary right. child that was not dealing with any kind of abnormal psychology. Um, so, Nate, before we jump back into the episode, your thoughts so far on what you've been hearing regarding the esteemed doctor? I came into this episode not liking him. I, <laughs> as, as we talked about at the I top of this, shocked. I was I texted you, who is this fucking nerd? Right. Yeah. H- had you heard his name before? It was I mean, it was in the background information, but like okay. even then it was not a name that jumped out at me. I was like, yeah. you know, it was very apparent that this was there's a lot of meta in this particular yeah. episode <laughs> of Avengers yeah. Odyssey. A lot that even I don't understand. Yeah. This is the meta. Uh, yeah. Much right. like an Overwatch where the, the meta shifts every three months. This is I, the meta. Play the meta. He's a tracer man. The, the, the implications that this episode has on the rest of Odyssey cannot be understated. It is <laughs> It's going to have an impact away. on your writing. cannot be it, overstated. AJ? It sure will. Yes, thank you. It cannot be overstated. <laughs> yeah, so this episode, because Josh and I grew up with this, we did not ever hear this episode. Right. This does not get packaged with the tapes. And I, I guess it now is with the CDs. Mm, interesting. Um. And and there they have an app. That's their main method of distribution now is there's a kind of poorly run streaming app that might actually be hosted on Mike Trout's servers. But we'll get to Mike Trout later. This was just a one and done thing because this is just an ad. Right. This is just an ad for focus on the family, where it's gotten to the animated specials that are going to come out on tape and uh, the fact that they're moving to Colorado Springs later this year. Right. And this is big, by the way, because at the yeah. at this point, focus on the family is still, of course, headquartered in Southern California because James yeah. Dobson got his start in Pasadena at USC. So it's steeped in tall buildings and jazz. That's right. Just so much. Jazz. But they now have the opportunity to buy this gigantic parcel of prime real estate in Colorado Springs. And they have done so. They are constructing a gigantic state of the art campus there, and they are prepping to move their entire operation to and centralize it at Colorado Springs. That brings us to the beginning of this episode. This is a season where Wit just describes things in his journal. He loves writing in that fucking journal, dude. The whole dude. season, it's like he always does the star date at the beginning. For some reason, they just decided to do this in 1991 or two-ish. Um, I mean, why give so the illusion a, that Wit isn't creating everything So there's an him? album of 12 episodes that are all involved with Wit's journal or maybe like one other person's journal. Right. It just turns into scrubs. Um, and <laughs> so we're getting a very special visitor. Very special, special visitor. Superman. So I, 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 you know, this this middle aged man from Louisiana mm. just walks right in through the door mm-hmm. of Wit's end. Um, excuse me, miss. Oh, hi. Can I help you? Yes, I believe you can. Where am I? You mean what business or or what town? Uh, both. Well, the business is called Wits End and the town is called Odyssey. I'm in in Odyssey? The police? That's who you are. (laughs) (laughs) So Dobson at this point, this is also, again, we're setting the tone for who he is. Dobson had nailed down the death row interview of Ted Bundy. Right. So he interviewed Ted Bundy. We're going to talk about this in more depth at some other time. But this was a big moment for him getting his profile out there. He did the very last interview with Bundy. And Bundy was raised by evangelicals and basically said, all this happened because I got into drinking in Playboy magazine. Yeah, it was just like porno made me do it. Yeah, it was just him playing another like last game before he died. But then Dobson kind of gets to have the claim of like, I turned him back to Jesus. And Dobson bought Bundy's whole shtick hook, line and sinker, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just sort of goes along with it. He makes a ton of money off of this. He's referred to in a lot of news at this time as a radio evangelist, a televangelist, a preacher, someone who runs a ministry. And he calls these all smears. 
He refers to them as attacks because he is a psychologist with a radio show. He's not running a ministry. He is not a pastor. And he's specifically distancing himself from Pat Robertson, Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker, uh, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts in 87 or 88 had right. also had a scandal because he, I think it was $8 million. He needed to make $8 million because he said that God had appeared to him in a dream and told him he was going to kill him right. if he didn't raise $8 million <laughs> in like a handful of weeks. And this, of course, also mirrors everything that we heard in that yeah. first episode, right? Of like very intentionally distancing uh, itself like, I'm from not these a minister. other things. I am not part of the televangelist world, even right. though he was. Yeah. And Focus on the Family officially became yeah. a ministry during the Trump huh. administration. Ironically, it, yeah. so that they could further dodge taxes. They can hide their donors. That's the other big thing is. And so Dobson's coming in here and he's part of the same sphere, right? He hangs out with Jerry Falwell. Later on, he becomes good friends with Pat Robertson, even though at this point they're kind of at odds with each other. This is all it's it's all the same thing. And so he's coming in and he's like, oh, I'm in Odyssey now. And so Dobson has has established himself right now. We're on uh, 60 million dollars a year, 1500 stations in the United States, a few hundred uh, Latin American stations as well. They're translating episodes of Adventures in Odyssey and of his talk show into Spanish. I caramba. And he's about to go to Russia, too. And so he shows up at wit's end. Connie doesn't know who he is. But every dad in town who beats the fuck out of their kids, <laughs> they know who James Dobson is. So so more importantly to me, how does Dobson not know who Connie is? I think it's very apparent from this that Dobson's actual involvement with like the day to day operations and story of Adventures in Odyssey is probably pretty removed. Yeah. You know, and he talks like as somebody you can't hear this on the podcast. I'm wearing my. Lego consumer services hoodie. I used to work for a toy company. Uh, and like the way the things that he does know about Odyssey are very like marketing centric versus like the actual characters in story. Right. He has a, a vague idea of what this place is, but is like very much a stranger in this thing that's supposed to be his brainchild. But, you know, to be honest, this probably is not too far away from the truth. You know, originally Adventures yeah. in Odyssey was created as a series called Family Portraits. It was like a Tracy Ullman thing. They started as as little episodes that aired on Dobson's regular radio hour. Truly, the more we dig into it, the more it resembles. This it, it really is. It really is. Um, it was a mid-season replacement. No. Uh, it, uh, so <laughs> there there are even a couple of Frank Peretti shorts, which I have uh, nice. a hold of. And so they were they were branching out into this drama thing. They got a lot of consultants. This is this started out really, really basic is like someone basically narrating the whole thing. Maybe a second actor comes in you know, very much like a, an Aeschylus tragedy or something. And <laughs> but they brought in consultants, mm-hmm. they brought in professionals and they knew how to make a good radio right. show. And, and you can hear the fruits of all that, that labor and all that consulting and all that money. Dobson wasn't really all that involved in the hands on day to day at this point. And so there there was a controversy early on. There was this character. Oh, yeah. He's just a huge dumbass, but he's a police officer, bumbling police officer sort of and trope. Dobson. They they start getting a whole lot of letters from parents being like, this is going to make our kids think that police officers are sometimes dingleberries. But he was just like, oh, I just heard about this cop thing. I don't like him. Get rid of him. Right. And the writers would even make him come back every now and then as like a cameo because they were kind of sticking it to him. <laughs> but like, that's who he is. Yeah, he he is. He's an absent. Yeah father i mean especially now that we know that acad all cops are dingleberries right um yeah. and you know he 
it's very funny to me because there's a way of looking at this particular episode as James Dobson being in a hell of his own making. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually surprised because both of you had prepped me for this by saying that, like, it's going to be a lot of just sucking this guy off. But yeah. it does introduce him with him listing his accomplishments and kind yeah, of being me, like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. Let me grab that. Well, I do lots of things. I do a radio program. Uh, I'm a psychologist. I've written a few books. No uh, kidding. Anything I've heard of? Like, okay, what are some of the titles? Well, one of them's called Love Must Be Tough. Mm, I don't think I heard of that one. Sorry. Well, I wrote another one called Parenting Isn't for Cowards. No, I haven't heard of that one either. <laughs> Have you read Preparing for Adolescence? Uh-uh. How about The Strong-Willed Child? No. Nope. Dare to Discipline? Not. There's there's a great movie called Hell's a Poppin', sequel to Mary Poppins. If you've never seen it, I recommend it. It's 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 an absolutely wild movie made by a comedy duo named Olsen and Johnson. For a time, Hell's a Poppin' was the the longest running show on Broadway, but they're not the you know they're not the Marx Brothers. They're not the big names in comedy from this from the 1930s and 40s. And there's a joke in Hell's a Poppin' when they made it into a movie where a lady gets their autograph and then she asks them afterwards who they are. And he says, well, we're Olsen and Johnson. And she just goes, Olsen and Johnson. And she storms off. <laughs> They're just doing right. The hell's a poppin' bit here yeah. with James Dobson because Connie is supposed to be 16, not a parent, but they also get to use it to name every single book. This yeah, man yeah, has published yeah. yep. just in case you've missed one so far. And, yep. uh, and then, and then I this, missed parenting. Is it for cowards? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not, uh, that's, that's Canon. So, uh, at this point then, uh, Melanie, who we remember from earlier, uh, the, uh, ebullient and somewhat gullible child, uh, arrives and wants to talk to wit and, but she actually does know Dr. Dobson, uh, because also all of these books exist in the Odyssey universe. So there, because every time Dale Jacobs beat her with a wooden spoon, he said, Dr. Dobson told me to <laughs> exactly. do this. Okay. Okay. So if we can just briefly stop for a moment to acknowledge that this James Dobson is not the James Dobson that exists in the Odyssey universe and that there are in fact two James Dobsons, one who has written these books that are famous in Odyssey and then this interloper from another fucking dimension, which breaks the show entirely yeah. in well, half. There, well, let's is, Stephen King tried this with the Dark Tower series and it got yes. equally confusing. <laughs> yes. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's take just a moment before we move on in the story to sort of unpack what is happening here in terms of canon. I want to describe this to the best of my abilities. Sure. So we have Odyssey, right? Odyssey is the town. Uh, and in this town, they learn lessons and blah, 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 blah. And we've got the characters right yeah. now. Odyssey, the town stories from the town are dramatized and released to the radio for regular distribution on the radio in I guess the real world, which is also, but, but Odyssey, I guess is also really part of the real world. But, but, but then again, Odyssey may or may not be a temporal dimension from which one can be teleported through the imagination station. Additionally, additionally, no, no, no. Let let me finish here. Additionally, they are now recording a series of videos which are being produced again in, I guess, the real world. Yes. And the yes. John Avery Whitaker is producing a series of animated videos that will be released in the real world that are being yes. voiced by 
him and others that are in the in the odyssey world and these videos are being distributed for the benefit of focus on the family okay josh there's another layer to this yes (laughs) in this same album there is a movie that gets made in odyssey about odyssey in the show adventures in odyssey on the radio awesome it, so it's a turducken dimension is what you're saying. <laughs> this is based on a short story Wit apparently wrote called A Day in the Life, where the kids uh, hang out, learn some Bible verses and deal with. He changed the name of Regis Blackard to Boris Darkheart. Right. In which case, Hollywood comes in and a director named Martin Scoresburg. Come on. Jesus. So they. No fucking way. They I'm so mad. You can't One of be the serious. most famous Catholics in Hollywood. And they were like. Really, though, he's a Jew. That's unreal. Whenever we talk about The Last Temptation of Christ, we'll actually go deeper into the anti-Semitism around the protests involving that movie. But so Marty Scoresberg shows up in Odyssey, (laughs) makes a movie where he cuts Connie out of it. He's actually just Scorsese and Soderbergh, like, fuse like the fly. (laughs) He makes a movie where Boris Darkheart gets changed to Dr. Mephisto. Right. And in this, the animated series, his name is Dr. Faustus. Right. So apparently the real problem with the animated series, according to the writers, is that somehow the Jews got a hold of makes, it. Makes and, sense. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. <laughs> so there is. So in addition to the animated series being made, there is also this movie that is currently being made, which is what Connie is also referencing right. in the but I'm not included in this. I can't help but also draw a parallel to another show that is about a, of course, radio psychologist who has distanced himself from his past (laughs) his former companions to move to an entirely different city where he now lives in a hell of his own making yeah yeah brazier right started in 1993 obviously Uh inspired by dr Dr. dobson clearly clearly yeah holy shit and (laughs) starring famed christian scientist kelsey Grammer. yeah i do appreciate this episode a little more thinking about like it is a hell of his own making right this this is an ego trip and advertising vehicle for here's a list of every book i've written Mm -hmm. here's all the you know a wink and a nod in a way that really fucks up space-time continuum and the fourth (laughs) wall and fifth wall and then some yeah it ruins it ruins everything about canon like it's just just wrecked just all the winking and nudging of like here's what we're working on is like just completely takes a sledgehammer <laughs> to, to the framework that is Adventures in Odyssey in a way that like uh, is very hard to to like unfuck your mind thinking yeah. about after after experiencing this. I've been I've been watching Twin Peaks for the first time uh, in the last couple of weeks. Congratulations! Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's really good. The mystery parts of it are like actually really really cool and interesting. But there's. Um, there's something about when Connie excuses herself before Melanie comes in, uh, where she goes off to have a one-sided fun call, yeah. uh, with somebody and you can kind of hear her vaguely in the background. Yeah. And I'm sure they're just using some old dialogue setup from a previous episode. Mm. Yeah. But it for does that cause she gets really animated. <laughs> yeah. And it does feel like. it's poking fun at like a convention of adventures in odyssey which i thought was interesting and fun but also deeply uncanny Mm -hmm. none uh, um, none more so than when eugene comes out after robo tripping in the other room looking for more cough medicine right and proceeds to call dobson 
an insect. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, It's it's really cool the way that there's this back and forth between Connie and Eugene here. And, and, And then Dobson, like gets in Eugene's face and like lectures him that he should have been more socially aware of his surroundings. And it's like, Dobson, like Eugene is autistic. Like, <laughs> what, like yes, like, I yes because so. his yeah. parents were too permissive before they died. <laughs> so like yes. you're, you're expecting this man to be able to read some extremely high context, social yeah. cues here after and, here, and, after and, and lecturing him for failing to do so. So this episode exists to advertise the animated series, right? He meets up with wit and they watch like a big long chunk of the animated series. The animated series is a much lower quality product than Adventures in Odyssey. It cost $400,000 for each installment. They eventually made 17 tapes. They did? Yes. This this came off of the success of a series called McGee and Me. Right. And McGee and Me was about a little, it's mostly live action, so it's far simpler, but there are these animated segments. This kid has a, a... uh, it's Lizzie McGuire, but with the Bible. McGee and Me is very successful. Churches bought it. Schools bought it. Parents bought it. Focus on the Family tried to run even further by adapting Adventures in Odyssey. Obviously, they only made 17 installments. It was not that successful. Right. It did uh, sell about 2 million tapes overall, which really doesn't sound like a great ROI. Uh, but it did get to air on Channel 4 in the UK for a little while. Really? And various Christian stations in the US and Australia. That's they put all this effort into it. They made an inferior product huh. and it, it the animation is horrible. It's real bad. It's real bad. So I, after that ad, um yeah, uh, yeah. his uh Dale comes in. Dale, Dale comes Jay, in. Yes. He fucking uh, fans out. Like yeah, here we go. Freaks out. It is true. <laughs> You're here. Dr. James Dobson. He's so horny. Dr. Dobson, this is Dale Jacobs, editor of the Odyssey Times. Hello, Dale. This is an honor, sir. A a real honor. I I mean, Dr. James Dobson in Odyssey. (laughs) You said that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one's ever been this excited to meet James Dobson. My readers would kill me if I didn't get an interview with you. Interview? Uh, Yeah, just a short one. Just a short one. A a couple of questions. You know, uh, uh, why are you here? How long are you going to stay? What do you think of Odyssey? Uh, Dale. It's Shirley with you? What about Danae and Ryan? How are you feeling now? Dale. Are you writing any new books? How's the broadcast going? What about the move to Colorado? I understand you're going to Russia. Dale. Huh? So Dobson also went to the USSR this year. This is, of course, the final year of the USSR. This is the Glasnost era. And he planned to go in August. August is also when the, the coup sort of took off. <laughs> But Dobson went with two congressmen, one senator. This was a total State Department thing where they bring in Dobson. Uh, They publish a bunch of his old articles in like the Young Communist Moscow magazine. Um, They translate not only episodes of Adventures in Odyssey into Russian, they translate episodes of his talk show and have it delivered by actors. In Russian? What? It's a circus. Again, this is all, this is part of the beginning of selling Russia for parts, the privatization of everything, sure. bringing life expectancy down, just flattening this country in the wake of the Soviet Union's collapse. And and Dobson's right there as the collapse is happening. And Dale Jacobs plays this person that I think a lot of these conservative Christian people like to imagine actually exist yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, for sure. Like James Dobson goes to a place, even a place with a large volume of Christians, he's not going to be met with that. But I think that to your point, no. though, you know, some of the listeners, some of the adult listeners of this show are going to be. 
this guy. So they, they, they are, they're going to suck him off. They're going to suck him off. Literally. One other funny bit, by the way, is that apparently Dale's wife listens to uh, folk, the Focus on the Family radio show, which, she, wow. which uh, yeah. Dobson broadcasts with a man named Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Not the L.A. Angels all-star of the same name, but... Uh, <laughs> so, so Mike Trout is also really funny in retrospect. Mike Trout kind of became the main host of the show while Dobson did more administrative duties and then would come in, do his thing, and then Mike Trout manage the rest of the program. Trout left in 2000 because he had had he was caught quote an emotional affair with a married woman, oh, which yeah, means dude. he was definitely doing a lot more than that. But that was just the thing that he said. And in well, to 2000, be fair, she did dangle a lure like right in front of his face and kind of just left it there for a little bit. And, you know, you put a little worm um, on the end. He, he can't resist. So we get the clip. We get to hear Tony J, you know, Claude Frollo from Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's where probably most of their money went right. from that first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Odyssey is going into syndication now. It's going to air every single day of the week. They're going to, you know, run their reruns. Yeah. This whole thing, it's just an ad for all of the various things. Although not before uh, Dr. Dobson, like, turns things back around and, like, fucking lectures <laughs> yes. Dale about how he doesn't care enough about his own daughter. Yep. And then he goes fucking over rules. to Melanie, who is having some trouble with a friend who's moving away, and then he, D- James Dobson, saves the day, because right. he is the man that Wit always aspires to be. Right. He is the god figure in this town. Yeah, and, and, and then also... And we get to suck him off. Right? Yeah, and then also, like, somebody points out that Wit sounds a lot like Dr. Dobson, mm-hmm. and then everybody in the room just kind of nervously laughs, <laughs> and it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> not good. Not good. Uh, anyway, wow. after that moment of communication between father and daughter, uh, Wit really wants Dobson to leave. Like he is fucking yeah. like, it is time for you to go, dude. Uh, and, and, and Dobson is in no hurry to leave, but Wit just really needs him out. Yeah, so get in the fucking machine. Shoves him in the, get in the imagination <laughs> station, Shinji. Um, and he sends him to hell. Yeah, that's where he goes. Uh, Dobson uh, goes he teleports to hell. him off to hell. Uh, I would just like to point out that uh, while he's being shoved into the imagination station, he says, no, I have a wife and kids. And he says, and a weak heart. But the way he says it makes it sound like, and a weak heart. <laughs> uh, as if you were a Scotsman with a much too small cart. Uh, groundskeeper Dobson. Groundskeeper Dobson. Uh, Chris comes on and says, that was great. Yeah. As if she's being held at gunpoint. And I, I, immediately I was like, was it? The way it's written and as we discuss it, like it feels more and more like the writer's we're like, we got to get this shit over with, right? This is a, this is a Dobson cameo <laughs> mm-hmm. and we have to hit these talking points. Like the clip that they choose for the, this is what they're going to turn into a cartoon sucks. Oh, it sucks frankly. ass. Oh, like, it's so it's just bad. Super boring, like super corny in a way that's like, it doesn't feel like they want us to watch this cartoon. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make Dobson look like that great of a guy. I mean, yeah, sure. He talks somebody through feeling bad that their friend is moving away. But like, other than that, like doesn't yeah, seem he to seems know where aloof. he is. He seems like a real asshole. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. know how he got there. It's it, like the subtext is palpable of like, this guy does not really give a shit about this town, right? He is he yeah. has shown up against his will <laughs> and is not he even, doesn't that even He doesn't even there. know where he right. is. And he doesn't really care for much. Like if he were like, if you were freaking about it, like imagine you create something, right? And then you were able to talk to those creations and your response is, who are you? Like it just doesn't imagine, imagine yourself. You you find yourself hanging out with the concerned parents of the wolf man. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Saying, no, I don't care about you. I don't care that your son. Would that be your reaction to, to, to such a situation? 
I mean, what would happen I would if be, you met? I would be thrilled, right? Even okay. even the like, <laughs> yeah, even the throwaway bits that I've forgotten, right? Like, like every once in a while, I'd like, be like, oh yeah, I made uh, whose thing is it anyway? Anyway, where uh, it's the cast of whose line? Except the thing from the film, the thing is also on set, <laughs> and, and also none of them are familiar with what improv comedy is. <laughs> like this is like. Wait, I, Nate, Nate, can we do right. can we do one of our classic improv bits real quick? Of course, yes. Okay, cool. Um, oh boy, do you need a location or anything? Uh, no. no, no. Go, go ahead and give, give him, give Josh a location. No. Okay, yeah, you can give me a location. Oh, uh, great! You're in a gymnasium. Oh well, here here we are at the gymnasium. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I'm the one who's asking. No, that's my line. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, one more, one more time. <laughs> well, here we are at the gymnasium. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you? Wait, what? Actually, I forgot. What's the next line? <laughs> What's the next line in our famous bit? I I, I don't know how much of this. I, I mean, is no matter. Right now. I don't. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> no matter what you say, I'm just going to say I'm the one who's asking. Right. No. <laughs> Wait, let's do it one more time. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Here we, here we are. At the, here we are at the gymnasium. Here we are at the here we are at the gymnasium. What do you mean? Uh, I don't know. Who are you? I'm the one who's asking. <laughs> and, and scene. scene. <laughs> I feel like I had a stroke. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna. I'm having health problems. <laughs> I am not a theater person uh, by profession. <laughs> But I did take a principles of acting class in high school <laughs> rather Whoa, than an wow. actual like English course. And I got mm -hmm. partnered with this guy who was a theater kid. Right. He was he oh, okay. is in every summer musical, so, that sort of thing. Mm, yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, worst place to be. We had, I think it was a scene from The Good Doctor, uh, which I don't know mm. anything about because I didn't bother <laughs> learning the lines. <laughs> so he comes up and he delivers whatever his first line is. And I just said, what do you mean? <laughs> and let him flounder up there. That's this so is, mean. Man, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. This is, I, yeah, that is my approach to improv is just yeah. let the improv partner do all the work. The thing about this episode is that it's really fun to laugh at, but it, you can't really lose sight of what an odious motherfucker this oh, guy he's, is. Yeah. He's evil. He's a genuinely, he's a genuinely person. evil man. And I think this quote really like everyone sums that up. still alive he left focus on the family because he bankrupted it mm -hmm. uh, and got forced out basically but he has his own ministry to this day that makes all sorts of untaxed money living high on the hog they are th his new org is even more extreme than focus on the family somehow uh well we've had uh some good times question mark talking about uh, uh <laughs> adventures and odyssey nate is there anything that you wanted to talk about or plug or anything before we wrap up uh, I don't have any major plugs. I'm Vrunt, V-R-U-N-T, on basically everywhere on the internet. I'm not making anything, selling anything, uh, but I am also on Venmo if you need to send me some cash. You got some extra. <laughs> it um, is truly one of the most brilliant Twitter accounts on the website. And <laughs> Thank you Twitter so much. Don't show me them anymore, so I like have to go to your account to see what yeah, you're up to I, these I think, guys. despite the fact that they gave me a blue check mark, I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they like my account anymore. I got my blue check mark because I tricked NPR into thinking that is Ted Cruz the Zodiac killer was a trending topic during one of the town hall debates. Uh, I like edited the little like banner along the bottom for top Google searches during during some Republican primary. And uh, yeah, I got got put in the news. And then I submitted when you could still could. I submitted a 
request to get a blue check mark saying, well, I'm quoted in the news a lot, so it'd be nice if people knew I was the real guy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I got the blue check mark and I have uh, abused it in every way possible. Uh, my, they still haven't taken it away from you for some reason. They have not taken it away. They, no, bless them. The, the closest I've flown to the sun, Josh, you probably remember this incident, uh, was I was a, I would go to the this person does not exist.com. I was just taking faces and I would give myself a like very like uh, official sounding title, doctor, whoever, right. yada, yada, yada. And I was picking fights with the Mars Rover, the That's curiosity right. mission, <laughs> which briefly got you in trouble at work yes, because yes. somebody found you. I remember this because we, you know, we've been coworkers for, for some time. Somebody like reported one of your tweets bullying the Mars Rover <laughs> to your supervisor at work. Yeah, I made I made this engineering student in Australia so mad that I was pretending to be a, a series of of scientists who were all pissed off at the Mars Rover for, not, for yeah. doing too much marketing and PR and not enough science, just photos. Was, not just, oh, not just, not just conceptually pissed, like personally aggrieved yeah, at so, the Mars Rover so as if it were a guy. So offended that I would be bullying either NASA or the robot or both. You were right though. That Rover should have been doing science because it could have prevented COVID-19. Exactly. There, we go. there, there were, yeah. there was the stretch, right? Where it landed on Mars and all of this stuff was like, here's a cool video of the engineering like feats that it took to, to land this thing. This is a 3D rendition of like how the rocket took off. And I was like, just give us the photos of Mars. Like, we don't want this shit. Like, you're, you're tooting your own horn for nothing. Like, and like, you know, I thought it was a great heel character because like there's nothing, you know, the, there's no harm being done by sharing there, this. There's literally a single thing, nothing yeah. offensive right. about it at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, this this college kid in Australia got so upset that he found me on LinkedIn, tracked down the company's like hello at uh, email inbox and was like, are you aware that this person is impersonating a scientist and is bullying <laughs> and yeah, so I, so I got this was during COVID, so we we're all remote, and I get a oh, Slack message, man. not from my boss originally, thankfully, was like, "Do you know who so and so so and so is?" And it took me a second. I was like, "Oh shit, it's that kid who's been upset in all my replies to the Mars <laughs> robot." And I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> why? Why do you know this name?" So if you want bits like that, please, for the love of God, follow Nate, because it's it is such a joy. And as Josh was saying, you know, we've had a lot of laughs today, uh, but it is important to remember about what just a piece of shit human uh, mm. James Dobson is. And there's this quote that he has on Wikipedia that is from uh, Dare to Discipline. Um, well, it's actually not from Dare. I'm sorry. I'll take that again. Um, there's a quote of his on Wikipedia that uh, he was asked in an interview, uh, how long do you think a child should be allowed to cry after being punished? And this is uh, this is what he responds. Uh, I believe there should be a limit. As long as the tears represent a genuine release of emotion, they should be permitted to fall. But crying quickly changes from inner sobbing to an expression of protest. Real crying usually lasts two minutes or less, but may continue for five. After that point, the child is merely complaining, and the change can be recognized in the tone and intensity of his voice. I would require him to stop the protest crying, usually by offering him a little more of whatever caused the original tears. And the thing about this episode is that it proves that there are two James Dobsons. There's the one in the real world, and there's the one in Odyssey. And I'm so glad the mm. two exist, 
coexist in the same reality because I can genuinely tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. Wow. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. All right, folks, you know the drill. As always, we are brought to you not by any fake products and any fake advertisements. We are brought to you by our listeners. These include our patrons over at Patreon. Such distinguished people as Ashley Stoneman, Dara Swisher, Hanna White, Nikola Donov, Silverbear909, Timmy Sexton, and Tony Diddy. And if you at home are liking what you're listening to, and you would like to hear your name spoken in a sultry, deep voice, well, maybe consider donating to us yourself. No pressure. See you next time. <laughs>